The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I'm having on what became quite a fan favorite episode. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Hi, it's uh, Michael here from NX Gamer. So, um, yeah, you obviously know from last time, I'm really happy to have such a positive response from that podcast. Hopefully, we can repeat that magic. Lightning may strike twice, you never know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that came out kind of at the right time to our hardware talk. It, it, it's actually funny because I had so many, co- you know, I don't think it was just popular because it was the right time though, or because of the cross promotion between our channels. I think, I, and I saw this in the comments that so many people literally saying like, this is like the only podcast I've found where they seem to openly, unapologetically talk about what they think about both consoles hardware and it's not either a fanboy channel which there are enough of those nor is it one of those console centric gaming websites that and I'm just just being honest have no clue what they're talking about most of the time <laughs> like it, it's absolutely insane to me how it's you either have to go to like a PC gaming website which doesn't seem to be that interested in the consoles we have to go to a console gaming website and I mean you're lucky if they know what an SSD even is. Yeah, it's a shame, but it but it is. It, 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 in the medium that we work in or we revolve around it, you don't have to have a lot of technical knowledge to be diving into those conversations. But I think there's that lack of humility to be able to understand where your knowledge draws a line. And I think that's that's difficult because there's a lot of channels, like you say, a lot of podcasts that... They almost hype people up. I've seen this on Twitter, so I've been responding to some people on Twitter on certain things that they ask or bring up, and it's they almost convince themselves it's true, but more dangerously, they convince other people that it's true, and then just, yeah. people just end up disappointed because that doesn't that doesn't turn out to be true. And I just, I deal in fact, that's all I deal in. I've got no investment. Anyone that invests themselves in a massive corporation that's selling you something because they're a business is just, yeah. you, you're missing the point. That's not the point. It's like saying, would you see people arguing over BMW and Mercedes? It's the same thing. They're selling you a product. Well, yeah. And you know, that's a good thing to bring up at the beginning as well. You know, just let me say to everyone listening, I don't swear allegiance to any companies we talk about. And in fact, you know, and I've said this on multiple podcasts before, I so, I did used to own some stock and uh, I almost did an NVIDIA and Intel, then also AMD. I've owned Sony and Microsoft stock before. I've definitely owned a lot of TSMC stock. But, you know, before, right when things, you know, when COVID in March started to go bad, I immediately sold everything and I never bought it back. I still haven't bought any of this back because... Because I frankly, I want to avoid ever having any chance of insider trading, but also just because, you know, I, it's fine. You know, I, I I have my patrons, I have my income. You know, I I, I sometimes buy some stocks. You know, but it, I'm not going to do it in these gaming and silicon companies anymore because I want to be entirely biased. So if you see me own a product 
right? If I, if I own a PS5, for which I do, I, I actually managed to get one. If I, ha- I, I bought the PS5 not because it's made by Sony. It's because I genuinely wanted it, right? <laughs> for the games and the stuff it has. And the same with these graphics cards. I just bought an NVIDIA, an Intel system. My main editing rig is all AMD for the first time in my entire life, I think, an all AMD computer. Like uh, anything we talk about is my honest, and I'm sure yours too, honest opinion. And if we own something and use it a lot, it's not because we have to for a company. It's because we genuinely like using it. And I don't, it's a little weird. I have to say that in the beginning, but man, it's some people just keep assuming that you couldn't possibly just like something different than them. You must be a fanboy. Uh, well, yeah, we said this last time. I think it's a it's a case of you know if you don't like what I like, then you're my enemy, and it's just it's a strange mindset. It's there's nothing wrong with people having different opinions. If if everyone had the same opinion, it'd be a bloody boring world. And you need variety, and there's good and bad from every side. So you just got to pick and choose what you want. But you buy what you want, you play what you want, and I've always done that. You know, if I don't like something, I'll say I don't like it. I can see why other people would like. Like I, I, Fortnite is a good example. I hate Fortnite. Can't stand it. Nothing about. Oh yeah, I can see why people would like it, but I, it just never, yeah. never clicked with me either. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's that's essentially what I mean. You you you've got to appreciate that other people can like something else. You can't. You yourself might not like it, but you can see why other people can. But there is a lot of people. Not a lot. There's a there's a small minority that are very vocal that will tell you that they, I think they're a very small minority yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I mean most of my audience is absolutely incredible they're really positive really you know supportive and intelligent and informed and they have and if they disagree with me they'll say it and that's fine I love conversation because if you don't you can't get anywhere but it's the people that just go you're wrong and then laugh at you it's like what wrong about what what are you talking about so it's I used to entertain those conversations but now I kind of just walk away or even make a little joke because it's easier than just trying to entertain these people that just want to have an argument with you they don't want to have anything else other than disagreeing with you for the sake of disagreeing yeah well so let's continue then actually before we get deep into you know the discussion points we have here I thought like what is your YouTube channel because I think a lot of people, I mean, I, and, I, and I say this genuinely, should check it out. I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of like similar to Digital Foundry and the type of analysis you do. I mean, why don't you tell people what you do on your channel? Yeah, so, I mean, I started it simply because I, I've worked and been involved in technology all my life. So writing code from Commodore 64 Amiga and all that kind of stuff. So my channel is really an extension of what I do. So... It analyzes games in a very detailed level. So I look at the techniques, the comparisons between PC, consoles, different consoles, why they're doing it. And at the moment, I'm working on quite a lot of stuff to do with the PS5, obviously, because I've just covered that for review, Series X and Series S. So I do in-depth, detailed hardware software analysis of not only consoles, frame rate analysis, so live frame rates, you know, average frame rates, all that kind of good stuff that you... You standard practice on PC, but not on consoles. Um, I do all that on part of my channel. And then I also dig into more than that. So why is it performing badly? Why does this happen? Why is why is the PS5 loading games slower than the Series X with its super fast SSD? What is going on? All those kind of questions that I've seen bouncing around. I dig into those things and explain why. I don't know everything because I'm not access to the behind the closed door stuff from different companies, but... I've got enough experience, both software and hardware, to have a very good understanding of it. And obviously, over the years, I've been proven right time and time again. That's not me banging a drum and saying how great I am, but <laughs> but it's but it's yeah. it's all about you know. If you don't want to trust me, look back at things I've said three or four, five years ago, um, and then look now what's come out. And you can see that you know I've I've been very lucky many times if if I don't know what I'm talking about. But 
Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> that's I, I love that. Yeah, like people just go, oh, Moore's Law's dad is just making up these leaks and get some things right. It's like, yeah, I guessed the four Intel architectures in a row. I, I made up Cypress Cove. I just guessed Cypress Cove was the name of Rocket. Like, like well, how would I? <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, anyone who says that, though, hasn't watched any of your content. They're just like, like we, I said earlier, drive by attacking you because you said a thing they don't want to they don't want to acknowledge is true. Yeah, I, mean, I, I get it all the time. It's, it's common and it's fine. Sometimes you can talk to those people and they get it and sometimes you can't. But yeah, so essentially I do that kind of analysis. I've been doing it since 2013 now, so quite a long time. Well, and you found some uh, really interesting things. I did check out a few of your videos again, just right before I put these notes together about the next-gen consoles that we'll get into in a second. There's, there's actually a lot of surprising things that you found that Frankly, surprise me, other channels haven't picked up on yet. But before I get into the consoles, I actually do want to bring up just briefly, because we typically mostly talk about PC gaming hardware here. But then again, you know, like the consoles only launch every four to six years. So to ignore <laughs> the console hardware to me seems r insane. But like, what, what do you have any, like, what are your impressions of NVIDIA Ampere, RDNA 2? Zen 3, one of them, all of them. Like, I mean, there's, I mean, this has been for PC gaming a much more interesting year than the previous few years. It's been, it's been amazing. I mean, I've, I've covered some of the Ampere and RDNA 2 stuff. And I think that NVIDIA have obviously lost, dropped the ball a little bit um, in terms of what they've done. I know you've covered it with your information on their, their um, manufacturing process and pissing people off. And I know that NVIDIA are good at doing that generally because how they act. I think Ampere's. A, a good architecture. I think it's a great leap forward. I think they came in with ray tracing at the right time, and and I love their marketing. I can't, I can't fault. I love Nvidia's marketing. I, I can't fault them because they are literally the masters at it. They've they've managed to make ray tracing become RTX, and they've branded it for themselves. And I think you've got to give them credit for that because yeah. that that's incredible mind mind share. But I love the fact that. You know, we are back in a place where AMD are competitive with NVIDIA and, and they're, they're feeling the pressure. And I love that. And I think RDNA 2 is, is up there. It's up there to perform on 90, 75, 90% of the games at the same level or better uh, in most yeah. of the quality than Ampere. It's not going to be as good in ray tracing, but that's pretty obvious. But yeah. predominantly, they are at the same level. They're probably going to charge a very similar level of price, and so they should. But I'm I'm excited to get my hands on. I mean, I've I tried to get a 3070, 3080, and I've not been able to get one since. I've... I almost got a 3090. It was in my cart. Was it? If you can believe it on launch day. Yeah. Wow. For one of the only 10 they sold that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to some people about that in supplies in the UK and Europe, and there was just nothing coming in in September. It was all meant no. to land in October, and then... It started to trickle in now. Did you see that uh, NVIDIA's Ultimate Play article and video I put out? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. So it's interesting. So you also talked to suppliers that from the beginning were saying it's going to land at the end of October. Yes. Yeah, everyone was saying that. Literally, I know big suppliers in the UK that had single digits of the 3080. And now they are landing right now. Yes. It's just, and people are like, but it wasn't, a, it's like, well, guys, it's a COVID year. Yeah, it came out a week or two later than I said, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So it's all landing now. And I think that that's good competition. I, I would have bought one if I'd managed to get my hands on one. I couldn't. I, I pre-ordered one, didn't get it, kept sitting there. I cancelled it in the end. But now RDNA 2's out. I am right. looking, potentially, at just getting one of those instead. And 
chopping off one of my cards that I've got into. I've got a 5600 XT and I've got an RTX 2070. So one of those will go for whatever I buy next. So probably the 6800 XT. But that's what I'm looking at at the moment. And specifically mm-hmm. a Zen 3 machine, a brand new build, brand new PC, top of the range as much as I can to try and do those comparisons to the consoles and keep myself at the top end. Because let's be clear, as good as the consoles are, those if six seven hundred pound GPU is going to be better than a consoles are never about best quality; they're about best value, and and I think that's the problem. It's I'm looking forward to seeing how close RDNA get in games coming forward because I actually think that there's a good chance that RDNA will have a bigger gap in a year's time than they have now against Ampere because oh yeah yeah probably but, but well simply because end game engines are now going to be so focused on what's already and we said this last generation but it's already happened. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of games that have that advantage that. If if NVIDIA don't buy exclusivity for their black block solution, then they don't get better quality. And NVIDIA's driver team is amazing. That's, that's you know, no doubt that they spend so much time yeah. getting game-ready drivers out there. But RDNA 2, I think, in a year's time, could be another 10% better than it is now against Ampere. Relative to Ampere. Yeah, yeah. relative to Ampere, yeah, in, in certain titles. Because there's a lot of stuff going on with teams and AMD are right in the heart of that on both Microsoft in DirectX and also Sony in, in the game engines across the board, so specifically Unreal Engine 5. So there's a lot of leverage AMD have got and inherited from those relationships they've built in. There's, it's a two-way relationship, the AMD-Sony-Microsoft thing. It doesn't all work to Microsoft and Sony's advantage. It also works to AMD's advantage, and I think they're, taking, they're really going to take advantage of that now because I think RDNA 2 is a product of that. It's been designed by developers with the best people, the best teams in the world out there. And most of those work for Sony first-party studios. People hate me for that, but it's true. They are the best out there because they, they literally are on the top end of the quality. Those people are giving direct information and access to AMD for their new console. So AMD already know what, what teams are going to be putting in. So that's la-la-la, RDNA 2 and RDNA 3. Yeah, and you know the one thing I'll say too about both Supply and RDNA 2's performance, I covered this in my last video, but you know Ampere Supply is showing up. I think this year is the first year as an example of just how on-demand gaming hardware is that on a launch year, PlayStation 4 and Xbox hardware sales didn't really, and software sales didn't go down. Usually there's this drop right before a new gen comes out. Whereas it's been strong all year this year. And it's because people are stuck inside, right? And now the winter is coming and they want a game. And so I will just say that Ampere, especially 3070 stock, is hitting now. Check Newegg regularly. You might be able to get one. But just keep in mind that there's millions of people trying to get about 300,000 3070s. And RDNA 2 will be about as available as the 3070, but that's not enough to meet demand. And the 3080s and 3090s, the NVIDIA's held back some of those dies to launch 3070 Ti's and 3080 Ti's in January. So really, I, I will say it's going to be hard to get a graphics card. These aren't paper launches. A lot of people seem to have no idea what a paper launch means. These aren't paper launches. But it is going to be hard to get a graphics card, I think, until like until March next year, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did a video a while ago. I referenced that, the fact that there's never been a higher level of consumerism than there is now, specifically around PC and console gaming. It's just stupid. I mean, Sony have sold what? Their entire 12 weeks um, sales of PS4 in, in pre-launch. PS5 in pre-launch. I, PS5, I, we're yeah, going to make yeah. that mistake the whole time, by the way, guys. But yeah, so like what you just said was, was like, so if it's 12 weeks of the first four, the first 12 weeks of the PS4 is what they've already sold in pre-orders for the PS5. Yeah. I think I think that's almost like 5 million. 
yeah, it something. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that just shows you how how big, and that's that's only from 2013 to now. So seven years later, it's it's lich and and I, I reckon that both consoles will break 10 million before February's out. If they can well, ship them. Sony's get, said they're going to manufacture over 11 million by March. So I don't know what that number's at now. I actually heard it might be 15 million by then. So it's possible. I mean, I think they're going to sell every single one they ship, right? Well, it's an enviable position to be in. It's, it's the perfect position for um, an FD, but it's a terrible position for a technical chief officer. You, you don't want to be in supply and demand. But right now, they can't make enough to sell. So that's perfect position. But if they could sell, if they could make more, they'd sell them. And, and I think that even Microsoft will struggle to meet demand at the moment for Series X because it's the early part of a launch is, is hardcore gamers. The Series S will be the long-term winner, I think, for them. But I think the Series X for the next six months, they'll probably struggle to supply that as well at the same level. But it depends how many they're making. I don't know the numbers on Series X. Yeah, so it's funny. I think we already answered this, but Joshua Rogers writes in, uh, and says, was the launch of the console successful? I know I could not click fast enough at GameStop, Target, Best Buy, or Walmart to get one, but how hard How hard is it going to be to get one of these new consoles in the next few months? Should Sony have waited for more inventory before launching? Well, I'll answer that, no. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, get it out, man. I th- if anything, I think they should have launched, considered launching it sooner, but when you look at like the overall readiness, they probably launched it as soon as they could, right? But I think you would answer, yes, this is a successful console launch for both so far, right? Absolutely. But, um, but I think that you need to be aware that this isn't successful for them. That All they're doing now is is literally putting money back in the till. Um, they're skint, so to speak, because this is all investment for long-term gain. So it's all, it all depends on how much everyone buys with their console. That's where they're making their money. And I think that, you know, that second controller, that camera... Uh, whatever out, you know, the, the media remote and five games, then everyone's laughing. But obviously, right. Microsoft is all about get Game Pass with it. I mean, like, all so what I would say is what we can say now is the PS5 is outselling what the PS4 was doing. And it seems like it's on track to, at the very least, outsell what the PS4 sold in the first year or two. For the Xbox, it seems I, I the numbers aren't as public, but from what I can dig up, it seems like the Xbox, at the very least, is outselling the Xbox One back in its time. Although I don't know the exact amount, right? But it seems like it's selling faster. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that as well. I think in the UK it was one hundred fifty-five thousand, wasn't it, for the Series X, Series S? So that's that's a lot. That's that's more than the Xbox One was, um, and that's the UK alone, and. The UK is probably a good mix between Sony and Microsoft. Yeah. So th- that, that, that's that's a good margin for them to make. I, I, you can extrapolate that out to Europe and the rest of the world, but obviously America's their biggest market. So I'll be interested what figures come out over there, over your way. Uh, so let me, let's move on to the next discussion point then. This was something I wanted to have early in this episode, which is kind of just nipping something in the butt right away, which was, and you know, this was one of those things people said I was, in the end, I did technically, I did technically have a couple of horrible quality videos I put out at the very end of 2018. And one of them was talking about how I'm like hundred, like 90% sure that the consoles will be around a 2080 Ti, have an SSD, have a, have a modern eight core 16 thread processor. And, you know, everyone says that's crazy, but it, you know, it's similar to back when there were first rumors of the PS4. Where they were like, there's no way it's as strong as, you know, like whatever it was back then, you know, 
a six nine seventy or something. It's like, well, give it two years. That performance will not be as hard to obtain. And so I just want to kind of look at the early comparisons we have now and discuss where that was. So did you see these notes? Did you glance at these notes? I hope they were easy enough to read. They're mostly for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Watchdogs Legion stuff, yeah. Yeah, so I let's get to that one last, even though I put it first on the list, right? Assassin's Creed Valhalla, looking at benchmarks on tech power-up, it, so here's the notes I, I have. The PS5 and Xbox Series X, and you tested this, so I'm using your video, uh, assuming you aren't lying, uh, they run between 1600p and 1800p most of the time at a dynamic resolution. Uh, the settings seem to be a, around high settings on PC. So if we look at what, you know, so then you go, well, okay, well, most people on PC probably, um, you know, you can't use the ultra benchmarks from Tech Power Up. But then if I go to Hardware Unboxed, right, and see the performance boost you get from their optimized settings. So I'm even giving PC the benefit of the doubt here and saying, let's assume gamers don't even just turn it down to high. They do a mix of medium through ultra that looks the best and gives them like a 25% performance boost. I mean, if we were to assume, it's a dynamic resolution, but if we were to assume the consoles were at 4K, um, the 3080s results on Ultra and 4K times 1.25, that's that 25% boost, I'm saying, of mixed settings, gets you to about 62 frames a second. Uh, 60, yeah, frames per second on average. But remember, the consoles are locked, so I would say, okay. But of course, they're not really running at 4K. But then if we run at 1440p, the 2080, so 55 frames per second on Ultra, in 1440p, the 2080, then multiply 1.25, that's 69 frames a second. So that would maybe account for most of the frame drops. I mean, so so the conclusion I come to is the consoles are running this game, you know, at a resolution between 1440p and 4K, between, you know, medium and ultra, just like I used here. And yeah, I mean, it's running about as well as a 2080 Ti, I would say, right? I think that's what the performance, and Devil May Cry as well, they have a 4K you know, unlocked mode, and they seem to be running, links are in the descriptions, guys, by the way, um, about the same frame rates, you know, that the 2080 Ti did when Devil May Cry came out on Ultra to PC. And, you know, I uh, Godfall, I haven't seen any good comparisons, but it seems to run smoothly with ray tracing, and ray tracing hasn't even been added to the PC version yet on uh, the PS5. Um, you know, with the exception of Watch Dogs Legions, I'm seeing these consoles run games around a 2080 Ti. I've, have you had time to look at that? I'm sorry for the long spiel, but I just wanted to kind of explain where I'm coming from to everybody. No, no, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, so it's hard to know exactly what the settings are. So uh, most console games mm. ha- have a have a balance between the two. So they, they they can tweak things specifically, and you can go into any files and do that yourself on PC. But Generally, I would be amazed looking at AC Valhalla and looking at some PC stuff. I've just got the PC code, so I'm looking at that at the moment. Okay. But um, it's, I would say high is probably a good bet. And the average on, I'm just looking at my sheet, what I did for the counts. I don't know, it's off, my, it's off my head because I do these counts. I do so many, I've done so many counts recently on games that I've lost track. So looking at my sheet in front of me right now. So the Xbox One X, um, Still runs the game at 3520 by 1980, its highest point on the Xbox One X at 30 FPS. And the Series X um, does it at 3840, 60. It goes right down to 2560 by 1440. It may go lower, but on average, it's above 1440. It's above 1620. It, it can hover between 1800 and 1620p. And mm-hmm. the PS5 is more often 
it seems, on my counts. On the same like-for-like shots and cutscenes, I've done a lot of this. It's regularly at 16, 20, 18, 1800p. It, it seems to be, on average, ever so slightly higher resolution than the Series X. So based, yeah. on, based on what you've just said, then, yeah, if, if it's coming out at 68.8, for 1440p on high settings, then it's it's somewhere between it's a 3070. That, I think that's the target. It's which is a 2080, yeah, which is about a 2080 Ti. It's it's there there below 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 above a 2080 Ti. So in terms of just rasterization performance, yeah, they're coming out exactly as expected, somewhere around a 2080 2080 Ti, which to me is a 3070. Which is why I've kind of had a problem with the 3070. Technically, if you have to, if you have to buy a graphics card. Right now, the 3070's price performance is better than a lot of other things out there. But it's the 3070 typically isn't five hundred dollars. It's typically five fifty to six hundred if you look on when it's in stock, and that's more expensive than the entire console. You know, an entire PS5, which is running the same performance. I, I don't, you know, and it depends, right? Maybe you already own a PC. Maybe you have all these games you want to play, which is an argument we'll get into in a, later in the episode. You know, if you really want good backwards compatibility, I think you just keep playing on PC, by yeah. the way. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, so there, there's those arguments, but I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, Navi 22, so like, you know, the 6700 XT from AMD, until those cards are out, and I think those will give you like PS5 performance for like $400 instead of 500. You know, it's the, the consoles are pretty insane bang for buck. I mean, this is a fully functioning gaming machine that typically does load faster, not in last gen games, but in next gen games, much faster than a PC and performs better than a, a graphics card that costs the same as the entire console. Uh, that, that again brings me back to the point, but that's what consoles are about. Consoles are about performance quality they're about bang for book they're about the best medium middle of the road and you don't miss out a great deal but more importantly this generation is the one that's going to be almost back to to dreamcast ps2 era where 60 fps will be more common and that means that 60 fps on console games makes it harder to achieve more than that on pc because the demands are going to be so much higher and I think that's where this console generation might have longer legs because they're actually, in, relatively speaking, and actually speaking, better quality hardware than we had from the PS4 and the Xbox One. Well, and, and, and the most important thing is dynamic resolution lets you lock 60, which I was looking at your analysis of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And it was, I was, I was like, wow. This is what feels, and I've heard this on another podcast recently, what really feels the most next-gen about these consoles is how many of the games are truly locked at 60. Like a true no-drop 60. It just feels it feels smoother than most of what I felt on PC even. Because even on PC, you have to deal with these frame drops and like turn down settings until you're really wasting a lot of performance. But with Dynamic Res in some of these games, it's just... It's just so smooth. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, you, you'll you'll notice a frame drop of like you know two or three frames per second, thirty three milliseconds consistently between sixteen. You'll feel it more than you'll feel a, a drop of twenty percent of resolution for a few frames. It just makes more sense, and it it does feel like the Dreamcast, the PS two era, because now with the CPUs in there, now with the configuration of the RAM, the SSDs, the speed of everything, it, it's it's almost quality of life improvements on the new consoles because everything takes less time to get into, less time to load, less time to swap, which I love. You can go into another game really quickly. But like you say, it's consistently 60. AC Valhalla really impressed me with how consistent it is. I've got another video coming up, which will be up tomorrow now, but 
I've got much further into the game on all the versions and covered it. It it, it does tear more than I like on on all versions, but certainly the Xbox has got some tearing issues. But mm-hmm. that said, I'm still happy that they've consistently kept 60 FPS throughout the whole gameplay. There's a few bits that drop here. Which they weren't always going to, I don't think. If you'll remember, like half a year ago, they announced Assassin's Creed Valhalla runs 4K30 on the Series X, and there was this uproar of why. (laughs) Why are you going to 30 frames? And But here we are, and it's 60, so I think they listened, honestly. I think they listened to what people wanted. They made the right choice. They're, they're, it, it's it makes it, even if you're not into technology, and that's fine. I, you know, I love people that just play games for the sake of playing games. I, I, back in the day, I used to do that as well, and I still can. I can still play something that performs horribly. You know, I played a lot of games over the years, but once yeah. you place a, a AC Valhalla on all the consoles, like, like I do, back to back to testing them, it just feels so much better playing it on the PS5 and the Series X because one input response so much better. You can feel that when you're when you're com- mm-hmm. you're in combat, but it just is easier on the eyeballs because it's just it's smoother on the screen. It's easier to watch. The action's just more fluid, and I, I like I prefer the image quality at sixty fps because of it just improves the quality overall because you're getting more frames in the same amount of time. I, I can't I can't go back to thirty. I'm not that one of that, those kind of people. But objectively, sixty is always better than thirty. But there are times where the cost of sixty can be too high, and and I prefer. 30. And some people would hang you for that. I know. But- I, I absolutely agree that games like, you know, I don't know, Detroit Become Human, Heavy Rain, you know, those don't need to be at 60. Those need to be as photorealistic as possible because it's about, it's a, like a drama, right? <laughs> you know, so that's fine. But I do think that there's a point where when it comes to action games, unless again, I would almost wonder if The Last of Us is fine at 30 frames because it's a slower cover-based shooter, really. But Outside of that, like it's almost like I could see myself just not buying a game if it's not at 60. Like this is absurd, guys. Like it feels so much better. It feels last gen to play a 30 hertz game, honestly, now. It, it does. And, and it, I think you need to have the, the, the compromise of when a game needs to be 30, when the visual quality is up at that level. And, and I'm a big fan that if you can make cutscenes that if you want to really push the visual bar out and raise sure, that up but right. it, like you say I'm a big advocate if it's a racing game if it's a fast if it's a first person shooting game if it's a high octane action game it's got to be 60 i mean this push for 120 it's great it's lovely and and, and you can feel the difference but it's not going to last because you're running games now that are cross gen at 1080p at 120 so you know if you're going to keep 120 I would going. just say, like, if you can add it, like, a lot of games won't be able to add it because the CPU is too in demand, right? But if there's a game, like, probably most Call of Duties, even for this gen, that really don't use the CPU that much, like, if you can do it, I would say just, you know, have a 4K mode for with higher settings for screenshots so you can do your trailers in 4K. Uh, have a... Have a 60 hertz dynamic res mode, and then just do a 120 hertz dynamic res. If it drops to 900p, sometimes fine. But maybe there's some people that would want that. And I just think the choice is what's important. It, it is, and but the, the thing there is on consoles, there's a lot more governance in terms of getting a version out. There's a lot of verification, licensing, certification, QA, all that kind of good stuff. And when you make modes on console, it 
it adds a lot of overhead. It does on PC, but it's kind of expected, and and that you mm-hmm. get the, the caveat of it. You know, try it. If it doesn't work, change it, reset it back, all that stuff. Whereas in the console market, the more versions and modes they add, the more effort it actually is. So there is a risk there that expectations need to be kept in check. I don't think we'll ever see that kind of consistent choose what you want, go for it. More likely, as I said before, I think it'll be a case of you choose between graphics mode and performance mode. I think that works for the yeah. for the simplicity of the console market overall, generally, and um, what they want, and still give you that option. But like I said, I love the fact that we've got games at the moment I'm just testing that are 120 FPS. And generally, I'm really impressed with how close they're hitting mm-hmm. 120 FPS. Well, so speaking of not 120 FPS, Watch Dogs Legions. This is one game I did want to bring up that does not fit the uh, 2080 Ti performance. Have you analyzed Watch Dogs Legions? I mean, I know you're analyzing Demon Souls, I guess, right now. Have you gotten to Watch Dogs at all yet? Or have you have you seen other people's coverage of its performance? I haven't seen anything other than what I've played on the PS4 and the PS4 Pro. I, I don't even, I've not even turned it on on the PS5 or the Xbox One. I've got to buy versions for that yet. So, um, you go, shoot. I've not seen anything. <laughs> All I saw was a digital foundry ray tracing comparison, and they found that it seemed to perform closer to, I would say, they said 2060 Super. I would say it was closer to a 2070s performance on the Xbox Series X. And that's, and the reason that really sticks out is eh, I'm not, you know, cherry picking. I looked at the games that I could find comparisons on, you know, Valhalla, Devil May Cry 5. Um, and then I also like look at other games like, you know, Demon Souls and then Godfall, which is on PC, but doesn't have ray tracing on PC yet. Watch Dogs Legions really sticks out with that performance. That's the only one I've seen perform that much worse on the consoles relative to PC. And I found it really weird, though, because they also only compared the Xbox as ray tracing, which is odd, in my opinion, that they didn't. They showed references to the PS5. But for some reason, they didn't even show one minute of the PS5's performance in that game. They probably didn't have the PS5 version because the, the, the PS5 version wasn't available three, four days ago. Let's be honest, Watch Dogs is not the most, I want to say optimized, but it's, it, it, that's, not, that's not the right word. It's, it's not a game that you would class as a high-quality benchmark for how good your hardware is. It never has been. It's, it's a great engine, and I think they do a lot with it, but I think they do a lot with it, and therefore... Throwing in ray tracing that's been funded by NVIDIA to go in there, it might suit PC. Yeah, that's true. The ray tracing in that game, right? Whereas Godfall is more funded by AMD. Yeah, that might be what it is. I've been playing Godfall. I've been playing Godfall. Um, I'll be reviewing that next week. And that's really impressive, actually. I think the ray tracing that is very good. I think the 60 FPS mode is, again, it stands out more with the SSR used quite well and some some projected uh, cube maps and some capsules and stuff. But I think they do a really good job on that game, but the ray tracing on that is very impressive. But Watch Dogs Legions, uh, it's probably suited to RTX because it's been written for RTX. When you say RTX, you mean NVIDIA's ray tracing. Some people use it to mean all ray tracing. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So I mean NVIDIA's ray tracing black box solution. So their RTX driver, that's that's what Watch Dogs Legion would have been built around. So it's probably going to benefit them. Just like if you say, say if we had a game that came out that was that was designed specifically around AMD's ray tracing solution RDA2, it it might, you know, punch above its weight. I hate that term, but punch above its weight in terms of but, how yeah, how, how, how well okay. it runs. Yeah. But like Miles Morales, they said looked more impressive, arguably, than Watch Dogs did. And it's like, well, that was only ever going to run on AMD hardware, so that's probably why. 
to, to be fair, it is. The, 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 the ray tracing in, in Spider-Man Remastered and Miles Morales is incredible. The amount of stuff they're doing and also the quality of the ray tracing in terms of areas where you would normally assume them to cull it, they don't. So there's, there's, no, there's no obvious cutoff point um, in the depth buffer to terms of where they fade in something else or use cube maps. Mm. Uh, they, they seem to just spawn rays right through the side of the fucking map. They don't seem to not draw anything at all. They obviously do a lot of BVH culling in terms of objects they've got in the containers, but they generally are doing such an impressive job. They use convex and concave uh, sheets on the glass, so they they, they take into effect the properties. They use um, semi-transparency, so you can see objects behind them as well as the ray tracing in front. They uh, take uh, contact hardening at the bottom, so a lot of the fall-off on the reflections get rougher and smoother. So they do a lot of work that you wouldn't expect of a launch game. And I don't know about Watch Dogs, but I don't think they do all those things in Watch Dogs, but I'll have to check it out. Don't quote me. No, and they even showed on Digital Foundry, like you could see the, the a car driving in the mirror disappearing in the mirror at a certain distance away from the mirror. Like it looked kind of, like there was clearly some pretty big cutoffs and, you know, where they were projecting the reflections. Yeah, it's, it's a quick win, isn't it? I mean, if you just, if you, if you cast your ray into the steam, you just, Draw points there, and after a certain distance, stop, stop casting. I don't care what I hit at that point. Stop using it, and that that's an obvious quick win in terms of performance. Yeah, and so this actually brings me to an interesting point then, because I've heard mixed things about RDNA twos and like whatever's after that, whatever's in the PS 5s you know, ray tracing performance relative to Ampere. I've heard some bench, you know, early feedback from people who run you know benchmarking websites that at least in the current games, RDNA two falls short of Ampere. But but you're saying, would you say? Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and I guess now Godfall, you've also like you're also starting to test. Would you say that ray tracing is more impressive than other ray tracing you've used? Um it, it's it's more impressive in terms of where my expectations were. I didn't really right. assume they would manage to have such high quality, vast levels of ray tracing on so many services in terms of reflections so soon. So th- there's not it instantly makes an impact over SSR because you lose all of the artifacting, all of the foreground uh, obs- obscurance issues and everything, you know, warping into the background and depth calculations, they're all gone. So I expected mm. it to be used at very low levels of quality, really. look at If you look at the Quake 2 uh, analysis did a while ago, that had mm. really low levels of LOD on the PC. Uh, it was path trace, but the reflections there had, had obvious, you know, looked like it, we were going from... PS3 to PS1 type levels of, of detail. Whereas mm-hmm. Spider-Man and, and um, Godfall don't have that. The, the quality is lower, yes. The text quality is lower. The detail is lower. AO is removed, yeah. But yeah. generally, I'm impressed by how much is there and how much they're layering on top of it. So they've got a, lo- a lot of other effects. I mean, they're using shadows in Spider-Man. So all, all the areas of the, of the map are actually still shadowed fully in real time to give depth to the calculations of the buildings. And, and so when you look in a reflection, it doesn't look flat and bland. It's got shadows, it's got movement, it's got animated characters walking around, it's got cars. There's a lot going on in, in very limited amounts of space that I didn't expect them to have. So... I wouldn't say it's better than than what other cards are, what the, what the RDNA two will be, but it's better than what I thought it was going to be. But that might be that these teams have just spent a lot of time working on it, or mm-hmm. it's actually a little bit more performant than we thought. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that. I mean, I think you know when it comes to really using ray tracing well on the consoles, I just think it's uh, it's just a prediction, right? That it's uh, it's never going to be like. Ampere is built to brute force high levels of ray tracing 
or at least it does, I think, better than what RDNA 2 will be able to do. And I think it's clear that, at least the way Mark Cerny talked about the PlayStation 5, and I would imagine similar things with the Xbox Series X, that it's really meant to just add a little bit of ray tracing here and there with minimal performance hit as flavor, but that you should, but it, it, it you know, it, which is kind of what I'm getting to about that Watch Dogs Legions comparison too. I really have to wonder if they would have just turned off ray tracing, if it would have performed significantly better probably could have ran at 60 hertz. And they kind of just squandered that version by turning up the ray tracing that was really meant for NVIDIA graphics cards higher than it should have been. Well, in marketing, that's, that, that's the, what sells. You know, Watch Dogs Legion was always going to be a tough sell because it was due out last year uh, and it got put back. So right. it, it was always going to be a game that was never going to be the big, big release for Ubisoft. But all of a sudden, ray tracing is in the headlines everywhere. It's mar- so marketing do do what they should do, which is picked up on it and said, look, let's stick it in the consoles and get it out there and it will sell loads on next gen. And it might even sell more on next gen than it would on current gen because it's one of those games that might not appeal to a bigger, bigger audience. So I can't blame them for that. It's just I wouldn't use it as a benchmark to how good or bad ray tracing is on consoles, just like I wouldn't use Spider-Man because it's a, it's a first-party game. It's been made by Insomniac who are absolutely incredible in terms of what they're putting out. But... It's still early days. There's still a lot more to come, and it would have been made on very early dev kits, very early software, very early SDKs. So there's a lot more to come, and arguably Watch Dogs Legions is more geared towards NVIDIA than it is anybody else. So it's probably not the best ben- benchmark. As I say, you know, a, a, a sw- one swallow does not a summer make, as the saying goes. So... We compared the consoles to PC gaming. You know, I think, uh, roughly speaking, it, it is indeed somewhere, and I've always said around a 2080 Ti, to, to say anything is exactly one other piece of hardware is, is just incorrect. There's going to be games where it performs, as far as we can tell, better, right? Which I would argue, which one was it the most? Like, I would argue Devil May Cry was clearly kind of performing like a 3070, really. Um, and then, but then there's going to be games like Watch Dogs Legions where whatever settings they decided to use nerf the performance more than you would have expected. Um, but comparing the consoles to each other, this was one thing that I found. Well, I mean, I'll, let, let, let me just before I say anything, how about you just answer like, how would you compare the overall graphical performance between the Xbox Series X and the PS5? At the moment, it's pretty much identical. There's not, there's not a lot in it. There's not, there's not anything in it really. There's, there's the games I'm testing at the moment. It, it's as expected. It, it is almost the the average person would go, which is which, right? And I think um, I'm trying to think. I know that in like Devil May Cry, some setting, some of the modes the PS5 was better at. Most of the modes the Xbox was like five percent, ten percent better at. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the PS5 runs at a slightly higher resolution. But I mean, compared to any other generation I've seen, these per- these they're they're performing very similar in third party games, right? I mean, it's and and it's funny because it 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 just makes me laugh a bit because that's something I've been saying since the beginning of this year. Like, guys, teraflops are not game performance. I'm seeing some. I've been I'm being told there are some customizations in the PS5 that, and I hate and I agree. I heard you say this. I hate the term punch above its weight. It, what a nonsense way of putting it. It's not punching above its weight. It just has its own hardware advantages, you guys, that aren't teraflops. But, um, you know, I, I think this surprised a lot of people. And I don't, it sounds like you weren't surprised by this outcome at all, though, either. 
No, no, I mean, I, I did videos on it a while and got a lot of uh, noise for some of them. I, I did a, a Terraflops or a Lie video a while ago, last year sometime, which was discussing that very point. And a lot of it, a lot of the videos I've been doing recently is leading up to people to, to make them aware of why all these things matter. So there's never just one thing. And the the big benefit that, that consoles have is always around tailoring for one specific piece of hardware. That's the mm-hmm. one. That's the one area that you can't take away, and it impacts PC massively. Which is why PC always say you bring. Well, well, you would argue Xbox has taken that away. You have to build it for Xbox One, which is a 720p console from 2013. Xbox One X, Xbox Series S, and now Xbox. I mean, so what, I mean that's five. What is it? One, two, three. That's four different systems, right? Yeah, I, I was just about to say exactly that, and I've, I've covered that in the video. The 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 path that Microsoft have chosen has reduced their ability to get the most out of each individual piece of hardware. It's not quite PC, but it's getting there because they're they're just another configuration piece on their portfolio, except they can have their own dedicated in-house drivers that are designed around the individual consoles and run within the um, OS deployment, the kernel that goes out. So their SDKs are still tailored, but they are tailored to run and be coded toward DirectX 12. So they're not they're not giving developers any any under the hood, so to speak, options which are still available for, as far as I'm aware, on PS4 and PS5 because there is only one SDK, there is only one driver, and you're right into that piece of hardware. And that's exactly why Sony have done their backwards compatibility in hardware, not software, because Microsoft can. They've got a completely high level of abstraction. Mm-hmm. They can handle it that way, and Sony haven't. So Sony's results in their backwards compatibility, which I tested last week, were, I, I, when I got the console, I was really impressed with how good it is. And I, and I love the fact that they've done such a good job. But there are games on there where you can clearly see that it's being mm-hmm. run in a limited level of performance because it doesn't have... Whereas that Xbox won't have that. It will use every CU that's available to it. It will use all the cores. It will use SMT feet, if it can, on their CPUs on every game because their operating system allows them to do that. And that's why they can do some of the stuff they've done with their drivers, like Fallout 4's got a 60 FPS mode come in. So they can mm-hmm. do that within the driver without needing the developers to get involved. And and they'll push on that. And that's that's fine. That's their USP. They've got to. So I think that's what Microsoft will go after. They'll, they'll let go of some of their low-level performance advantage by brute-forcing it, hence having slightly more performance in terms of hardware resources because their software isn't quite at that lower level that it needs to be. So you, just like PC, you brute force to get the same performance. Yeah, which is, you know, when it comes to the next-gen game comparisons, though, the one thing that did surprise me is, it doesn't surprise me they perform about the same. What does surprise me is how similar they perform in some games, right? Because they are not the same hardware. I mean, the, the Xbox Series X is really mostly derived from RDNA 2 with a few features added. The PS5 is really a hodgepodge. Again, this is from my source is what I'm told of a bunch of RDNA features and RDNA 2 and later RDNA architectures in addition to their own custom, you know, it's higher clock speeds, different compute unit counts. These these aren't exactly the same. I think people just see AMD and think, well, one's bigger. It's like, no, they're very different. But so then I expected some third party, I didn't expect them to like perform nearly the same in all third party games. I expected like, I don't know, like just as an example, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the PS5 performs, you know, 20, 30% better. But then in Devil May Cry, the Xbox performs 30, 40%. Like I thought it'd be more of a punching back and forth and less of a running identically. 
Well, again, I mean, what's in a piece of hardware and architecture, it, it's kind of irrelevant. I mean, people get hung up on that. I wouldn't get hung up on it yeah. because it takes it takes teams, engineers, developers so long to get used to what's out there that whatever's coming out now was was really designed for older hardware and it's just been put on the newer mm-hmm. hardware. So no, not undermining any work that everyone's doing, but you know, things like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the update to Devil May Cry 5, that they're all essentially up improved backwards compatibility titles. They're, they're titles that have, that have gone and said, what's our quick wins in adding to this performance? And Valhalla is, let's increase the performance by sticking to 60 and let's bump the resolution up and probably let's add, add a little bit more detail in terms of large shadow casting quality, resolution, shadow maps, all that kind of good stuff. Easy wins to use the hardware. But that's not what Next Gen's about. Next Gen's about using the hardware more thoroughly. And we've seen this with the SSD speeds that I've seen a lot of people comment on my channel about why is the PS5 not loading 50 times faster than the, the Series S and Series X? And that's because it's all about the software, you know. Which is our next which is our next discussion. So let's get into Sorry, that. Okay. Yeah. Go no, go on though. So I mean, yeah, I mean I said this before, I did a whole video on SSD. So it doesn't matter how fast your drive is, it only matters how quick every part of the pipeline is. So if you have an SSD that can, you know, push three gigabytes per second through the bandwidth, that's great. But if you're only asking for three, four hundred megabytes per second in your memory space, it doesn't matter how fast mm-hmm. your SSD is sitting around waiting, twiddling its thumbs, waiting for you to ask for data. So you've automatically got to change your I.O. system. So your file streaming process, your libs that run all of your access to data and getting it ready when you need it into RAM has got to be rewritten, completely rewritten. On top of that, your drivers have got to change because you've, you've now got to leverage these. Both these consoles have hardware decompression. So they're using newer techniques of decompression. They, they're decompressing from the hard drive straight into RAM and then decompressing when the GPU needs it. So all of that's got to be added in as well. So unless you go back and change your decompression techniques or your hardware supports the methods you're already using, we, I saw that when I covered um, Days Gone, they've updated that most likely to use new compression techniques, which are... It's nearly half the footprint of the game, which is a good example of what what teams are working on. Yes, same data in half the footprint means half the bandwidth required. Or if you want to be a fanboy, then you'll say twice the bandwidth. It's it's twice as performance, but reality is you're halving (laughs) it, therefore you're getting more through the pipe. All of those things don't happen unless somebody spends time writing stuff for it. So that's an engine upgrade, that's a driver update, that's an API change. All of those things happen. So if you don't have any of those things happen, then you're only as fast as your slowest point. Your slowest point will be the software. So all these games that are running, including ones that are last next gen, gen games, yeah, and and, and now gen games, like, Valhalla, some current ones like Valhalla, right? Yeah, so Valhalla will just be using the inherent benefits of the CPUs and the drives mm-hmm. and the throughput and the RAM. That's it. That's why they're quick. They're both quick, and the the speed of the PS5, the the ten percent or whatever it was that I did on my analysis. Yeah, I wrote down like ten yeah. percent on average. It seemed like yeah. So. It's it's all to do with the fact that the SSD is ever so slightly quicker, or the bandwidth slightly better, or their API is slightly quicker. It's hardly anything in it. And then there's some games on the Xbox which are better because their software has been updated. They've changed their driver. They're trying to utilize that hardware. Quicker. Predominantly, the backwards compatibility games. Yeah, is yeah, what we're yeah, talking yeah. About, so they, I do think it's important to this to distinguish though because I I actually got quite annoyed at the misleading clickbait headlines that came out. Um, like a week ago or something about loading comparisons. And, you know, you saw these, you know, fanboys spamming, ah, look at loaded faster than the PS5. And I'm like, did you notice Arkham City 
took a minute to load still on the Xbox <laughs> Series X. Like, I don't think we should be blind, uh, you know, because that, that's the distinction I want to make, though. It's like, when we're talking next-gen load times, even though Valhalla clearly doesn't make full use of it, there's a huge difference between that and backwards compatibility games that, unfortunately, even on Xbox, are still taking over a minute, right? Which I think is kind of di- very disappointing. But yeah, that's a software limitation. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, and, and that's that's literally it. That's my point. It's just, it's you have to have every piece working in tandem for you to use it. So, and this is part of the problem when people get hung up. And this is the only reason why I talk to people on the on the internet when they say things that I just think are silly because they set expectations for people that are wrong. So you end up having people perpetrating like, oh my god, this this the, the Series X is going to end up you know running every game at 120 hertz and it's going to be 4K everywhere yeah. and and it's like. No, nothing works like that. It doesn't, it doesn't. No, actually, the PlayStation Five's running the games at high resolutions on average. It, but it, again, it's it, even then. There's people disappointed with the fact that you can't, you know, resume for one. The, the feature of the Series X is you can resume back into a game. I think it's great. You got the cards feature on the PS Five. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that we've got different solutions. But you've got to give teams time to get the best out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. why. That's where Sony have done better because the PS5 already has games that are utilizing the hardware in, in this early point, whereas Microsoft have gone down the route of, well, it's, I, I keep saying it, and, it, and it, they've said it themselves, that they are a PC now. They are, play all your games better than before. That, that's that's their, their USP at the moment. And the fact that Halo Infinite was, was taken off the, the launch schedule has really affected them in terms of m- mind share because mm-hmm. people expect next-gen to be next-gen. And the first thing I did when I bought the Series X, I think it's I mean, great. I do. Yeah, yeah. I don't you. think that's a bad thing to expect. You think you buy a next-gen console for a next-gen. I would hope so. Yeah, and, and the Series X feels like a faster Xbox One X. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like. It's got a nice... Yeah, I've used one briefly and... Uh, Look, if you put it behind a box, you wouldn't immediately tell it's a next-gen console. So, you know, it's like nearly same controller, same UI, and 1080p, same games. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, how do you even tell? Yeah, I think next year, Microsoft will have a lot more to come. But right now, there's not a lot showing. I must admit, the new controller, though, I like it simply because it's got like a... On the Xbox. On mean. the Xbox, yeah. It's got a grippy pad at the back, and I absolutely love mm-hmm. that because it feels good in your hands. Uh, but it's slightly smaller, which I didn't like, whereas the PS5 is slightly bigger. Oh. Yeah, um, you know, that's one of those things, um, just kind of taking a tangent here, that is impossible to convey. But, you know, I- I've never been that picky with controllers. I mean, what, I've I've never complained on GameCube or PS2. I had a 360 controller for PC for a while, PS3, PS4 controllers. But I have to admit, yeah, the, the DualSense, I get not DualShock, right? The DualSense... Um, is the best controller I've held by an obvious margin to me. And I never talked about controllers before this generation. I never, I didn't expect to care much either. But, you know, like the, the, the free upgrade to the PS5 version of Borderlands 3 I was playing with. Yeah, what they do with like the haptic triggers with the guns, like the, there's like a, a Molly Wan sniper rifle that charges up and then fires. And you can feel the resistance push against your finger and then, like, different SMGs and assault rifles in the game have different trigger, not just trigger pulls, but trigger lengths. So you have to pull it less far, and you can feel resistance for less. It feels like you're holding different guns. It's actually pretty incredible, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I, I think the dual sense is an amazing piece of kit. I think it's it really brings the the contact with the game much closer. I, I'm, I'm waiting for a racing game to use it, because I think it will... 
That's what I've heard other people say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it, I think it'll be incredible. I mean, uh, Valhalla uses it a little bit on the on the string bow when you're pulling the bow back. It you can feel the resistance on the left, and when you pull it on the right, if you're holding it for too long, normally it just vibrates, you know. But on that, you can mm-hmm. feel the trigger starting to shake and push against your fingers if you're getting weaker. So <laughs> it's good. It, I, I like the fact that there's little bits, but the, the best use of it is by far Astrobot. Have you played Astrobot yet on your PS5? I have not. No, I know that's the one that comes play with the Play it, right? Play but it. Everyone said incredible things about it. This is like a Nintendo game that Sony managed to just give you with the console or something. Yeah, it's great. It, it, it uses the the controller better than anything else. You you really do feel the benefit of that game. And it's just it's just incredible. So be, so by, sorry, teams are amazing. Um and it's just it's just a fun, real nostalgic trip through PlayStation history as well. There's a lot in that game, but the use of all the technology and the haptics and the controller is incredible. It's really good fun. Do try it. But going back to the loading times, you know, discussion, I mean, I don't know. Actually, I don't know that there is much else to add, except that I would just say in the next gen games, pretty much across the board, the PS5 does load faster, but it's not by much, right? It's like 10 to 20% in most games, with the exception of a few. Um, and then I guess the only thing I can say is in Demon's Souls, it is instant. Like it is, <laughs> it's, it's, I, uh, I used to, that was my favorite game on PS3, and it was hilarious playing it, like invading people's worlds to try to take their souls. Like I was so used to, like in college, I would invade people while studying. Because I'd like be doing flashcards, you know, for mechan- like for different topics of mechanical engineering. And it would take a minute, you know, if you invade someone to load it. So that's good. I'll get a few flashcards in. Um, and uh, not, no, none of it doesn't, you're, you're just in their world. The site, like it just fades into fog and fades out and you're already there. Like it's, uh, so I guess that shows you what, what's possible though, right? I mean, like once games fully utilize it. Yeah. And I think that, the biggest benefit for the SSD isn't just loading, though. That, that's the most important mm-hmm. thing. I think that's the instant benefit. That's something I've tried to emphasize with people so it's much. It's easy to load games and everything else, but it's 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 what it offers to developers in terms of using it as a an extensional scratch pad of their memory allocation. We will see a lot of differences right. when when you've got non-compressed architecture, not well, non-compressed geometry running through the pipe onto the screen, so that there's less development time for developers to compress, create LOD levels, all that kind of good stuff for games. They'll spend more time making the game than trying to make the assets fit in the game. And I think that's where you'll see benefits to games, but more importantly, the teams making the games will see the benefit because it's less work for them, and therefore they can either do more in the same time or they can do the same in less time. That's the big benefit. Now, yeah, I've had two people that are sources at developers talk to me about this, that Sony's goal was to at least cut six months out of development time for their exclusive so that they can try to go back to two to three year dev cycles instead of this, whatever the hell's going on right now, to be honest. I have no idea what the, the current dev cycle is anywhere between three and six years, it seems like for most games. Um, and, you know, uh, that that was the goal. It's supposed to be easy to make use of. And then it's not, I've been told repeatedly, it's really not about the load times. It's about the fact that it makes managing RAM and everything else way, way, way easier. Yes, absolutely. It does. Uh, and I think that that's, that's the main benefit of the hardware itself. It's entirely designed with that in mind. So the I.O., the biggest bottleneck of, of games since we went away from cartridges has been the media that gives you the game. So... 
Yeah. We've had CDs, we've had DVDs, we've had Blu-rays, we've had hard drives, and now we're back to cartridge speeds. I did that on my on my review. The the loading time of a PS5 to Miles Morales from a save is quicker than booting up a Nintendo 64 game of Wipeout 64 and loading a level. So mm-hmm. that that's and the amount of data that's putting through is immense. And that's a launch game that's just doing the bare minimum. I know. So when you think about Taking away those, because there's a lot of work that goes into games everyone doesn't see. And, and I don't know it all, but I know enough that there's so much effort and logistics and time that people never see in just making mm-hmm. something fit. So getting that animation routine to fit into RAM, getting the object to get into the game, cutting down all of the LODs to fit into that level, creating sector points to load the next stream part. All of the, all that work is just stopping a game developer making a game. And all of that stuff gets removed but it becomes less of an issue when you don't have to worry about it as much and it's as good as the software that delivers that and that's what's been going on behind the scenes in terms of working for both the Series X and the PS5 but certainly Sony have put a big investment in that because it makes sense to them let's let's get let's get a piece of hardware out there that that takes off it's just good business to make it so you can put out more games easier repeatedly. That's how you make money. Yeah, and, and you empower your teams to, to run wide with ideas that they can deliver. And that just, you know, passion creates um, company, doesn't it? So well, once people are passionate about a game and an idea, they put it out there. And when people see it in the audience, they want to buy it and da 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 So that's where Sony are. Sony Sony have that passion about their games still, which I love. I, I, that's that's why I got into games as a kid. So And I get a lot of that from their first party stuff. Not all of it, but but most of it. Yeah, you know, one thing that um, I'm just, this is going to be a subject that might, that's going to anger some people in the comments, I'm sure, but I have to bring it up is what I've been told from a few, like universally by a few developers, I don't know, I know that you talk to developers too, so I don't know what you've heard, but um, that basically the, as they call it, right, the velocity architecture allows the Xbox to load things faster than Again, using this term, I don't like punch above its weight for how fast its SSD would normally be, but it takes a lot more work to use it effectively at its peak loading times, right? Does that make sense how I'm saying that? Yeah, there's, there's, more, there's more effort to get it to, to work rather than having it done for you. I've heard that there's been problems with the Xbox in this early part in terms of their SDK. Their GDK is not quite at level. It should be. There's been some late, well, it's still working towards a deliverable solution. Things are changing quite often and therefore no one, no developer likes to work as a, on a moving feast because the table keeps moving. You're not, you're not delivering a very good product. And I think that Microsoft are, are still defining their GDK for the Series X and Series S. Um, and that's affected some games now and probably some games to come in the early part of next year. But it's getting better day by day, but that, that still affects people day by day. That's what I've heard. Okay. So Jay Bear 98 writes in and says, I was thinking about the SSD in the PS5. A game that clearly shows it is the new Spider-Man, but others show improvements not quite as dramatically. How long do you think developers will make games that don't have loading screens at all? Well, I would say some of them clearly already don't. But um, And he goes, will the Xbox SSD be able to keep up if instant loading becomes a reality? I don't know. How would you answer that question? Um, I don't think we'll ever... It's an expectation to say they'll be quick. Uh, but it, you know, even if the Series S, uh, Series X gets to fifty percent of the level of the P- PS5, we're still talking a couple of seconds. So, I think for loading, it, it's always going to be quick. It, it'll be slightly longer on the Series X always because it's it's obviously slower. But that isn't the big 
the big area that I'm excited about. Loading's loading. It's fine. It's great. It's super and all that. But I'm more excited about what it does to game design. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it will keep up. It will manage to deliver the same games when it comes to terms of loading the game and getting it in there. Um, you might see some differences where, where games heavily rely on huge amounts of streaming. Um, mm-hmm. So things like... Kind of like what they showed with the new Rash and Clank, right? Yeah, or if they, if they, you know, you get a lot of this stuff which is cached on drive, like Houdini solutions, so you can get pre-built physics simulations and, and destruction mm-hmm. and all that. It, you you could go mad with something like the the epic demo where you have a sequence in a game where you're running through a built a collapsing building that's that's been completely designed to have water flowing through it. Think of the Uncharted three section, but ramped up to another level where you've got free control, but things around you are falling and, and streaming in no matter which mm. which path you take. It could struggle to do that on the Series X, potentially. And, and you know, that's something that I think is hard to convey to people, that it's really not long-term about the load times. Long-term, it's about the ability to stream in assets. That's really fundamentally the innovation in the PS5's SSD. It, the load times are there. Yes, <laughs> that's great. But it's really... Most of what Mark Cerny was talking about in the Road to PS5 presentation wasn't about load times. It was about streaming assets. That's the advantage. It's a graphical advantage. The load time advantage is, again, you could argue, oh, it's twice as fast. But like you see in Devil May Cry, it's like, what, two seconds instead of four, you know? Yeah, it's it's not a big deal. And and he he, he said on that video, it's the, the time to stream something from drive into RAM that isn't the big issue. The big issue is getting it into RAM, getting it checked in, getting it unpacked, getting it usable for the game to use it. That's where Sony have spent all their time. The SSD is just a part of that. And it isn't even the fastest part of it because it's the, the part that slows it down is when you're doing that consistently at all times and decapacking yes. it into RAM. And that's where the PS5's advantage will come into its own when games use it. But I, for anyone panics and calls me, a, you know, whatever, but I don't want to say that that's, that's a bad thing. I don't think that anyone but first-party teams will use it to its maximum. You might get some some, some third-party teams that do it, but right. Well, that's that's a shoe in, right? Like they, uh, you, you could put it two ways. You could say you could put it the negative way, where you go only first parties will be able to use this, or you could put it the positive way. First parties always make the most out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and teams will will use it. You know, it might end up being in a third-party game where there's more geometry on levels than there is on Series X because they can stream more. You know, I don't know, but there's you've got to think outside of just talking about the SSD and loading data. It's not just that. It's it's an extension of RAM. That's how you have to think of it. Jake Dude 23 writes in and says, leapfrogging off your question off of another question someone asked, how long before we start seeing SSD speeds on consumer hardware for PCs match the PS5? Like around nine gigabytes per second, you know, 5.5 gigabytes raw, nine gigabytes compressed is only a bit faster than the theoretical max of PCIe 4.0. Does that mean PCIe 5.0, just coming out next year, will see drives faster than those of the PlayStation? Is that going to be a problem for Xbox if only the PlayStation and next gen PCs have that? I don't think so, no. I mean, there's already drives out there, aren't there, that's faster than the PS5? Isn't there a Samsung one that's 7 gigabytes a second? Well, well, it depends how you look at it. I would need to... Right, so there's a new Samsung drive that's 7 gigabytes per second, right? But I don't know how many channels it has. And that's why, like, Sony has disabled the SSD slot so far because they're not sure just having 
the same peak theoretical bandwidth is the same as being able to move it over a 12-channel system, right? Or is it six channels, I think? I don't know. Uh, I think it's 12, isn't it? You're right. No, it's 12 channels on the PS5's SSD. And I believe most NVMe drives are four or eight channels. Some of them are, the cheap ones are two, guys. Make sure you double check the controller. Yeah, the controller is important. And it's also about the priority queues because that's that's a massive um, piece of importance for, especially for games, because priority queues are important right through the stack. So, you know, the command queue, the ACQ on the GPUs do that. So you can have priority queues, just like years ago, like IRQs on, on your, your ring bus on a CPU or on a uh, motherboard. You have things that take priority over the tasks. So you have to have the ability to all of a sudden go, you're important, and then go, no, you're not. Actually, you're more important. So mm-hmm. that's what's important for the SSD. It's got to be able to leapfrog things back out. And if it can't, then it, it has to step in the way and, and um, adjudicate the work from the SSD externally with the controller in, on board on the PS5 and do the work. Therefore, it needs a faster speed to do that. So... If, it, if it's got a, a five and a half gigabyte raw speed on the internal drive, it probably needs seven, eight, nine gigabytes external drive because it needs to be quicker at getting the data to the... It needs to make up for that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to say, hang on a minute, I now need that first and push that through instead. And because that's slower and responding, it makes up in short sheer speed. So, yeah, it's the first thing I did. I tested a, a, a M2 drive and it didn't work. It, it, it doesn't let you boot the, the console with it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I, the way I would answer this question is just I, I think you I think it's just you have to remember the PS5 is built to do asset streaming like heavily heavily for the next six years right and when it comes to PC Epic Games has already talked about that demo they showed where they're like well we can run it on a 2070 with a Gen 4 you know or I think it was just Gen 3 NVMe SSD right now. But it doesn't stream in the assets as fast, so we need to brute force it, right? More so with a stronger graphics card. Because that, that just means the slower your I.O. is going to be, the more you're going to have to render it once and brute force through the issue. So I don't know what that means for you know PC games over the next few years, but I think a maxed out Gen 4, as long as you have a powerful enough CPU, will probably come pretty close and 5.0 will absolutely make up for that but the problem is you know not everyone's the the problem is not everyone gaming on pc will have a pcie 5.0 drive for five years that's the problem it's not that it that you can buy something as good as the ps5 now yeah and i wouldn't get again don't get hung up on it i don't expect this to completely you're going to need ssds on pcs if you you want to play modern games you already see games starting to require them. yeah so that's going to be a given but you don't need to go mad um, and buy a, a PCI 4.0. No, 70. please do not. Yeah, don't just if you got a PCI three and you get a three and a half gig gigabytes per second drive. Do you know what? You'll probably be all right for a bit. That's my advice. That, that's what I've said. Right? Is you know, it's like wait. So do I need because of the I/O? Do I need a twelve core processor now? It's like, well, you just answered your own question. Is there any game you're playing right now that needs that? No, you know, and so don't worry about what's going to be required until it actually shows up. You should have had an SSD as standard for years. So obviously, I'm going to say you need that. And I would recommend the NVMe drives over SATA because they are significantly faster and they're frankly almost the same price per gigabyte, as far as I can tell, if not cheaper sometimes. So just get that. You can use, you know, a six core 5600X. By the time you need more than that, 
there will be cheaper things to buy that will be more than that, like Zen 4 and so on and so forth. So Stefan Hart writes in and says, Hello, Tom and NX Gamer, or Michael. How are you measuring frame rates and frame times in your videos? Is there a program like Afterburner for consoles now, or are you using un- other tech? And then he goes, and another unrelated question, are you sure there will be Zen 3 Plus, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been hearing about Zen 3 Plus for a while, although I wouldn't assume it's on AM4. It might be like a DDR5 version on AM5, but uh, that's a different question. You Maybe you want to answer the frame rates. How do, you, how do you measure them on the consoles? It's my own software, so I wrote it a while ago. So um, all I do is I take... Uh, it's now I, I can now take compressed footage. I never used to. It used to be raw capture, so massive gigabytes per second bloody mm-hmm. files. But I just take that and I run it through analysis that I wrote that compares the frames, the previous frame, the quality of the visuals, tear and all that kind of good stuff. And then it just outputs a video if I want it to, or I can output an actual overlay that I can stick anywhere else. So I've, I've streamlined it much, much more over the past few years. So it's my own software. I wrote it to do what I do on my channel. If that's a quick answer. Yeah. I mean, well, it is very impressive the analysis you've done though. So I, th- I think that's a so you wrote your own you wrote your own program. Though. I did. That's interesting. I rolled my own, as the saying goes. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. Ah, have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Uh, Juan Garcia writes in and says, Hey, Tom and NX Gamer, I hope you're having a fantastic day. I have a question, though, for NX Gamer. Uh, I'm very OCD about getting the most out of my products. I've been trying to download games and run them from an external M.2, 3200 megabyte read, 3000 megabyte write on a USB 3.1 enclosure. Let me see here. Currently, it's ha- continuing to crash, having to reconstruct it, or once it runs the games, eventually they corrupt and I have to delete them. I tried the same set up on the PS4 with no issue. I've So I'm trying to figure out if he's talking about if it's on... In your opinion, what would you recommend as a good external drive that will take advantage of the PS5? I have a Seagate. Yeah, so I don't know what you're running this on. I assume you're talking about you have this enclosure on a PS5. Um, I would double check that the cable's good. I, I don't know why it would, you know, I don't know if you can speak to this, why I would have a problem PS5 and not PS4. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. He's saying it runs on the PS4 without any issues, but it, whatever else he's running on doesn't work. So, 
it, yeah, is his cable correct? Has he got it in the right port? If it's PS, because I have had that where the cables were on a slower device, not having problems, but you plug it into a faster device, and it turns out the cable didn't really meet the spec. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if you buy a cheap, you know, Chinese knockoff one, and you don't, you don't actually know what you're buying. That that can happen. There's, there's dodgy cables all the time. It's a it's a good, it's a lucrative market for people. So yeah, check the cable, make sure that's working, um, and also just check it in a PC enclosure to make sure that there's nothing, nothing wrong with the drive. But he said, yeah, uh, Joanne said that um, he run, runs it on a PS4. He's got no issues. So he's also saying that about a Seagate license, any it, literally you are limited on external drives mm-hmm. on the PS5. So. I covered it before. You will get better loading times on the PS5 even if you use a crappy 5400 RPM drive because most of the time that's taken is decompressing it on the um, out of the drive and into RAM. And that's where the CPU and the bandwidth comes into, into play. So running any game on that with a slower hard drive, but you've got a USB 3.1, 10 gigabits per second, you've got a much, much faster CPU to decompress the data, it's quicker. I, I was getting 74 seconds on a PS4 with an SSD on Days Gone, and I get 30 seconds on the PS5 using a 5400 RPM drive. So there you go. Yeah. That's a massive difference. So any decent SSD, you know, 6 gigabytes per second SATA, absolutely fine. More, more than enough to get the best out of it from an external drive. Remember, you can't run any PS5 games on an external drive. It can only run on the internal drive or when they're available, the plug-in M2 drive when that slot becomes active. Yeah, and just in terms of like giving some advice for what you'd use an external drive, I, I have one that I used on my, I bought for the PS5 and one that I would pretty much, I think, recommend for the Xbox Series X as well, depending on how you... So I don't like big cables hanging off of my console with an external enclosure. I... I but call me crazy. I think it looks tacky. I, ju- I just think it looks silly to have this external thing hanging off of a console. I like one enclosed system. And uh, right now on Amazon, there's like a $37 USB 3.1 Samsung uh, thumb drive, 256 gigabytes, and it's 300 megabytes per second read and write. Not that it's ever going to make use of that, right? But, um, you know, but it's just 37 bucks and it's uh, one of those smaller thumb drives as well that barely sticks out. So both of the consoles have more USB ports than a lot of previous gen ones. I just plug this tiny low profile USB in the back of the PS5, 256 gigabytes. I don't know how many last gen games you're planning to install at once, but that's enough for four or five. And there you go. Like, that's it. And the good news about using something like this is it's small enough that it'll never take up a lot of space. And if you ever upgrade the in, the extra internal M.2 slot, you still have this USB drive in there for last-gen games. So that's what I would recommend. I wouldn't recommend some expensive external M.2 thing. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. If, if you only need around 500 gigabytes, then just get a thumb drive, USB 3.1, more than enough. Like, nice and neat, plugs in the back. You've got two ports that are fast enough. Don't plug in the front one because that's a slow one on the PS5. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and away you go. All right. So do you have any final thoughts um, and comparisons of the Xbox and the PlayStation? I think we focus on hardware. That's usually what I focus on on this podcast. But like, is there anything else you want to talk? I mean, we already talked about the controller uh, uh, controllers briefly. Like anything, features, UI... You know, things comparing between them that you think, like if someone was asking about the consoles, you'd want to mention differences between them. Um, I'm, I'm interested to dig into the sound. So I'm, I'm doing a video on that soon in terms of the, the sound hardware and how, how good it is in both consoles. They've both got dedicated sound processing chips. Um, again, the PS5 is slightly different in terms of what it's trying to target, but 
it's still a big leap. And I think sound's one of those things that everyone takes for granted. And I'm already in, enjoying the quality of sound that comes out of it in decent systems. That's one area I'd say, if you get one of these consoles, invest in a very good set of headphones, or if you can't, then invest in a decent 7.1 system because you will benefit. The amount of sound in yeah. the, is, is amazing. Um, the UI... Um, I, 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 and by the way, I do notice that in Demon Souls, like the the sound is it's it sounds incredible. Yeah, the, like the, it, but but it's also the the positional sound. So there's parts you, you know at right. the beginning when you walk up the car, you can hear the little guy coming down the stairs, or the guy that comes from behind you when you get a surprise attack, you can actually hear it. And I like the yeah. fact that it's it you can pinpoint the direction of them. Again, I go back to Astrobot, but Astrobot does a good job of that. If you if you take the haptic feedback and run it through the sound system, it sounds really weird, but yeah, it's, it's quite fun. Um, the the headphones on the actual controller, but it sounds good. Uh, the other thing that's really good, I think, is the UI changes in the PS5. Um, th- there's a mixture there. I think they've got a lot of things right. I think the cards are great. I think they're really fast getting into the game. It'd be great if you could go to the cards without loading the game. So there's certain things in the PS5 UI that I think are excellent, and there's areas where I think they can improve it. One of them, I think you mentioned at the start of the conversation, was I had the same problem. You can't now just turn the console off. You've got to press the PlayStation button and then go to the quick bar menu to turn it Well, I mean, on paper, it's not an issue at all. You just, you press the PlayStation button and you just scroll over rest mode. Yeah. It's not hard, but it is not where it was on PS4. And it wasn't obvious to me right yeah, away. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I had the same thing. I, you know, I was like, you've got to press that. Same with downloads. You can't view downloads now. You've got to go to the PlayStation bar and press it and go into it. But I love the speed and fluidity of the UI. It's, everything's quick, seamless, straight in. There's no, there's no lagginess that could happen sometimes, specifically on the PS4 when you were on um, PlayStation Store. I think PlayStation Store is much, much better now. Uh, and then I think the Xbox is much better, but that's hardware. Overall, it's the same... UI that I've got on the Xbox One X, so I'm a little disappointed. You mean it's better, like than the 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 One X and fluidity and fluidity? Yeah, yeah, right? it's much quicker. It's, yeah, it's, Which, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but it's but it's a shame because it doesn't feel any different, and and that's that. That's part of the joy for me when I get a new piece of hardware, a new console. I love it, even PC. You know, there's that. There's nothing like that new feeling when you install a brand new operating system and you boot up for the first time. It's it's one of the big parts yeah. of, of new hardware and. It's a shame that Microsoft didn't see the opportunity there to, to just reinvent the OS a little bit. And I think it no one would have complained if they said we've got a specific tailored OS that just runs on Series X and Series S. It's like, well, then, yeah, great, go for it. But they didn't. It, it, it's it's more of the same. So in one end, I'm very impressed with the PS5 with some areas of improvement. I'm a little disappointed with Microsoft because it doesn't feel any different. It feels exactly the same, albeit sm- smoother. I think I guess one thing we could discuss briefly is the whole quick resume thing because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it, it's not as in my opinion from what I've you know testing both consoles a little bit is it's not really this thing of like one is quick resume one doesn't it's like well how do you use your console because when I'm messing around with the PS5 it loads games quicker than quick resume on the Xbox if it's a next gen game almost always. And in fact, with, but here's the thing though, it depends on the game. It depends if the game uses it well. The cards below the PS5 games allows you to jump into specific sections of the game instantly. That's it. That's basically quick resume, but the game has to do that. And not all games do just like not all games on the Xbox series X support quick resume. I don't know. That's kind of how I see it is that they kind of handle jumping into games quickly differently but it's not as simple as one does one well one does the other it's a bit of a mixed bag i actually think 
It, it, I think quick resume is a great idea, and I've used it twice, and I think it's great. But I personally um, have b- a bad mindset with resume, so I've never really used oh. sleep modes on consoles, both PS4 and Xbox, because I, I tested it way back when, and performance is massively affected because of the way it ha- handles memory allocation. And then you end up with memory leakage, and it can slow the system down. I've had some very bad performing games on both the Xbox One X and even on the um, PS4 once, twice, a couple of times. So I don't use it. I just don't... That's true. You do need a reboot. I, I will say that I put an SSD in my PS4 Pro, um, and so I think I just kind of avoided those leakage problems from what I could tell. But friends that have hard drives in their systems, I mean, you got to reboot that thing every now and then or it will it, it, it will get just laggy as heck. Yeah, and, and for that very reason, I don't I don't like using it. But I have used the Quick Resume. I think it's great. I think it's a great feature. And I think I think for people that change games often, or they've got kids that come in and they want to swap games quickly, so they are, I'm playing, you know, Call of Duty, and my lad comes in and wants to play Monster Hunter World, then you can just swap quickly, and, and that that's really good. I think that works exceptionally well. But I just think it's 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 good that we've got different solutions out there. I hate the fact that everything's the same. So the fact that we've got Microsoft and Sony going for different methods within their UI is good. And I hope that we'll see some of that reinvention in this generation where they look at the operating system, they look at the hardware, mm-hmm. they look at the functionality and think, what do we need? I don't think you need to have six games in resume. I think it's a stupid idea. I think. That- I, I, I mean, I have, to, I have to admit that's my opinion too, is it's like, really, are you swapping between six games at once? It's a very disorderly life here. <laughs> like, come on, man, beat the level. Like, what are you doing? But I think that they could use what they've done there, the clever technology, and I think the software is really good at what they've done, and they could probably utilize that better to maybe have the ability to do more with the game you're in or maybe even do better levels of, I don't know, online streaming, have a sell additional benefits on your Xbox so you can use it as a media center so to do streaming online and embed with Twitch. I don't know. There's- yeah, let, let's, let's start to get into this conversation too, how these consoles could be improved because that's something that you can kind of see. See, that's why I say mixed bag. You can see the PS5 kind of doing that, which really, if you have an SSD this fast, is there really a need for submenus? There shouldn't be any menus. It should just be like, and the new PlayStation Store doesn't load some store app. You're just in it, right? Which is, <laughs> let me tell you, a lot better than the old piece of crap PlayStation Store on the PS4. Um, but the, I feel like most games should work that way too. Like, why are you booting up a game for five seconds to 10 seconds to then boot up a level for five seconds? Just have the menu for the game pop up below the card for the game and click continue. You know, like, I don't understand why there's these submenus. And you can see some PS5 games going in that direction. Like, I can see some of them that do just instantly bring me there. I think Borderlands 5 literally lets you select areas on the map to load into in the PS5 version instantly. But then you have other games where, for some reason, they're still just making you do this weird boot-up sequence. Yeah, splash screens are just the, the, the bane of our lives. I, I know they need to be there, but it would be good to have the option. Like I said, I think the game card would work if you could just pick a list of games that you've got in your portfolio you've played and say, oh, I'll go back. I, I, I akin it to the um, encounters option in Naughty Dog games where you can just go into the game, pick a certain section of the game you played and play that section again, just that section on its own and, and go straight to it. It'd be good if the cards evolved into that. So rather than me going into the game, loading up, I don't know, the Call of Duty and then go into the fifth mission, which is the best mission in the game where there's loads of stuff going on. I just go to the card and go, that mission load, and I'm straight in it. It just goes straight to that game and hooks me straight in. 
no splash screens, no no settings, just mm-hmm. in, I'm, I'm good, away you go. So light resume, but I don't have to save at that point. I just go back to that point where it was. There's a there's a hook straight into that game. It loads me at the start of the level and, I, and away I go. That's that's what I think should be done. That that would really benefit, I think, me. And, and, and not have all these performance issues long-term if you have like, for some reason, a bunch of games being stored in memory at the same time. Yeah, well, yeah, cached on the SSD, absolutely, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a great area that they could work on. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. You know, there's there's definitely work they'd have to do in terms of the game development and the hook-ins to that point, but the fact that they've already got game cards on PS5, it's already part of their SDK, clearly. So games will automatically have the option to opt in or out of using those. So it seems like it's already there. So I, I hope that gets evolved into that point where you just pick them, you know, the area where you are. Or if you've got people in an online game, you don't even have to load the game anymore. You just go online and go, oh, John's online. He's playing against, against blah, blah. I'll just jump straight into that game. I don't load the game. I just click it and it loads me straight into that map. And that's kind of what I think um, in the moving into the future is if they update this UI, I think the entire concept of Quick Resume is an obsolete concept when you have SSDs this fast. It's just Sony needs to actually enforce it and make it work that way. And 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 I mean, because again, when I've watched Quick Resumes, it's like 10 seconds to get in. It's like, shouldn't you just you know, <laughs> have a save that just throws you into it? Kind of like, like when you're running, you know, emulators on a phone for like an old Pokemon game. It's like, why are you even saving? Just save the state. Like, is that exactly? Yeah. And, and I think it's, we need, uh, hopefully Microsoft will do the same thing because that's what gets things to work quickly is if both companies offer that as a, as a choice in their SDKs, then you're going to get multi-platform games that, that hook into the quick resume as it's called on, on Xbox and the cards as it's called on PS5. And it doesn't matter what it's called. The player just goes in, picks the what bit they want and jumps straight into it. Hopefully, both of them will pick up on that and center on the quick and speed back into games rather than loading it up. Because that's the benefit of these consoles so far is the speed of using them is drastically faster than the older ones everywhere. Yeah. All right. So Lucas Santo Puglisi writes in and says, Hey there, I have a 1440p monitor and a PS5 on the way. Hence, I am a little disappointed uh, that the update that the console won't support 1440p at launch. Will it down the road, or do I need to expect for downscaling to 1080p and back up to 1440p the entire generation? And how does this affect performance? Like, why would Sony do this? So I don't know if you have any input into this whole 1440p support thing. Uh, I think it's it's an obvious one. It, there's not a huge amount of market, let's be honest. Consoles aren't PCs, so these, these people saying it are PC players, so... There's a lot of people that have 1440p monitors, I understand that, but the, the majority of the console market are plugging it into a TV that might also be used to watch television on. It might not be a dedicated monitor just for gaming, but if it is, then more likely it's 1080p or 4K. There's no 1440p. But it's it's an operating system choice that they'd have to add in, test for, and deploy. That's all it is. So it's doable, it's possible, there's no problem. There's no, there's no physical reason why it couldn't be delivered. Um, if you've got a 1440p monitor, then you just output in 4K and it downscales to 1440p. The PS5, I've seen this before, PS5 doesn't output at 1080p. doesn't have a 1080p mode. It's not designed to be a 1080p machine. Unless a, unless a game developer specifically ran, rendered a game at 1080p, mm-hmm. everything outputs at 4K, whether it's native or upscaled to 4K. So anything outside of a 4K screen, it will downsample back to whatever you've got. So everything will be 1440p. 
as a screen input, but the, the as a screen output, but the input will be 4K downsample back. So for for so you think this isn't really something to be concerned about at all? That it's probably going to look as best as it can, anyways. It will already look as good as it was on any screen. The benefit he's talking about, I think, there's about performance. Is he would want to render the game at 1440p, thus get back the benefit of 4K. But I think Sony are brave enough and strong enough and sensible enough to still be sticking to pushing games out, first-party games at sub 4K already on the PS5. You know, I could say Demon Souls is 1440p. They know the performance levels they need to hit and how how performant that is. So I I wouldn't worry that 1440p is going to ruin your your enjoyment of a game or your performance levels. Just buy the screen, plug it in, and you'll get a great pitch quality that's down sampled to 40, 1440p. Um, you're not going to gain a performance boost by running it on 1440p screens. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that because that was something I wasn't sure about because that was an issue I believe on the PS4 though. If you had a 1440p monitor, you had to choose between 1080p and 4K, and so it would actually render it in 1080p and not give you the 4K option, and you were just kind of stuck with 1080p upscaled to 1440p. Or am I wrong about that? That that was a wrong way to think about how it was working? Yeah, no. So in the PS4 Pro, you had a choice to turn on super sampling in the operating system, not straight away, but in the menu. So mm. in there, if you output a 4K, you obviously can't turn that on because you're already at 4K. Um, but if you output to a 1080p screen, you can turn on super sampling, which means all games run at the higher resolution as if they're on a 4K screen. So think of it as your super scanning options on GPUs. So it's the same thing. You you create a virtual resolution that's higher than your actual desktop and you render at that and it right. down, down samples back. So the PS4 Pro supported that. But on the PS5, there is no 1080p mode. Um, you can choose 1080p, but it won't change the games. The games will still mm. render at 4K. And that is different than how the PS4 handled it, you're saying? Yes, yeah, it's different, yeah. Okay, so I think that answers the question then. I guess what you're saying is people with sub-4K monitors, whether it's 1440p, there are even 1800p monitors I've seen, they really shouldn't worry is what you're saying. No, don't worry. Plug it in, play it, enjoy it. It, It'll look great. It will downsample and you'll get the best pitch quality. But it would be good if Sony added it. I'd absolutely agree. It would be good because the the small minority of people that have 1440p monitors might want to choose it as an option. But it's, it's not anything to panic about. It doesn't affect performance. doesn't affect quality. So how, I guess a final question is, I don't know if you have any input on how much effort do you think it would take for them to add that? Because that's something I'm curious about, right? Like, do, like, is it something where now they need to validate a new thing on every game? Or like, what is that? Why would they not add that? Uh, exactly that, validation. So if, they've, if they're outputting a different resolution, they've then got to get in between the game developer and the operating system output. So it means that... They've got to test games that don't render natively at 1440p. How do they run at 1440p? Do does the UI disappear? Do you get issues with text? Does this part of the screen get moved out? Is it the right ratio? All that kind of crap. So there is a level of, of effort that goes into Sony offering an additional output screen because in this modern age, no matter what you do, you put something out there, you can't put a caveat that says it's 1440p, but if it breaks, it's not our fault. Because it just that doesn't work, unfortunately. They'll get taken to court for something. So there is a to do it in software, to get it out there, it's nothing. It's 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 arbitrary. But to get it delivered as a solution in a business world, it's a bit of work because there's a lot of legal shit that goes behind it. But yeah, so it, it easy peasy to do is in terms of a development piece, but in terms of the the long term business ramifications might be more headache for Sony than it's worth. 
Yeah, that's kind of been my assumption as well. All right, that John guy writes in and says, Hello, Tom and NXG. Do you guys think that either console will implement or be capable of implementing AMD's answer to DLSS, depending on AMD's solution, of course? Let me just jump in here and say that based on how well I've seen checkerboarding work on some console games, I'm not sure they need a DLSS alternative on the consoles. That's really something that the desktop cards have. At least that's my opinion. I don't know what you think. I agree. I, Sony won't take somebody else's solution and they, they probably won't dictate either. Well, they clearly don't dictate. Their, their studios choose what they want to do. So Naughty Dog famously didn't touch any game to checkerboard and they, they left it off the table. They preferred 1440p on the Pro all day, every day because that was the best choice for them. So I think that, yeah, you're right. DLSS is not needed. AMD will have a solution that will compete on the desktop PC space. Microsoft may use it because it makes more sense for them to use it because of their development process with DirectX, but Sony won't. They'll use checkerboarding, which I believe they're using already on their ray tracing solution on Spider-Man, but they will probably have something a little more refined later on. And I'll be amazed if there's not something in the GPU hardware that mirrors the ID buffer from the Pro that helps them achieve that with less overhead to get better quality out of the hardware. So, yeah. You mean on the PS5? Yeah, on the PS5, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think that's something people, a lot of people don't know is that the PS4 Pro, yes, was definitely not built to be a 4K console, but it did have a cutout in the hardware that was specifically hardware level built to do good checkerboard rendering. And when you look at the results in games like Red Dead Redemption 2 or Digital Foundry showed a comparison in Sekiro, they found it indistinguishable from 4K in multiple games. And that's, I think that's just Sony's solution from the, since the PS4 Pro is, you know, we don't need DLSS or all these other features. We're just going to put a piece of, you know, we're going to design part of the silicon to be really, really good at checkerboarding. That's our solution. If, if that's what it is for PS5, exactly. And they're in an enviable position in that sense, aren't they? They're, they are masters of their own destiny. They are making their own hardware for the next six, seven years. So, Mark Cerny and team, it's not just Mark Cerny, he's a front man of the band, he's a great leader, and good leaders tend to bring lots of people's ideas into one rather than tell everyone what to do. So he comes across as that kind of guy. He knows his, you know, he knows his onions, he knows what he's doing. He's written games since the beginning of time, basically, and he understands how everything needs to work. So I would be astounded if they haven't thought about how they manage the best image quality with the least amount of effort. And that would be some minor hardware modifications along the lines of what they had in the Pro. Exactly. All right. So moving forward then to kind of the final topics, um, Dragon Eddie writes in and says, seeing all secrets revealed from the upcoming consoles, in my opinion, it seems to just be about the exclusive games at this point, isn't it? Would you agree with that? Or how would you differentiate who should get which console? Yeah, it's it's the it's the age old. What games do you want to play, um, and do you which which controller do you prefer? But that that's kind of a mute point, really, because I think they're both great controllers. So it's all about the exclusive games, and that's that's Sony's USP. That's that's their strength. That's where they have to push, and they they have done, and they probably will do. And that's where Sony Microsoft needs to step up the game. They've bought a lot of studios. They've got a lot of opportunity. They've got. They've got the the potential to compete, but they need to start showing it. That's what I feel. So right now, PlayStation 5, for me, makes more sense than, than Series X, but that might change in six months' time. 
Well, now, and so this kind of dovetails into another conversation, right? People would say then, well, what about this backwards compatibility? And it's like, so when I answer should, which should, what anything should I buy? I think it comes down to more than just saying in a vacuum, which one do you get? I think you've got to talk about your specific use cases and needs. Is there a person, is there a person listening to this podcast, at least one of my regular fans who doesn't already have a gaming PC? If you do, the best place to play backwards compatibility games is your gaming PC you already own, in my opinion, because Yes, some Xbox Series X and some PlayStation 5 games too, less so, but still some, are upgraded to run really well on the next-gen consoles. But, like, you know, they're not upgraded as much as, like, I'm sure if you, for instance, right, like, let's say you have, the let's say the 2060, as an example, you know, $300 graphics card, is weaker than the consoles. Absolutely, way weaker in some games. But if you're running games that are a couple years old, there's way more control you have over the graphics settings than the next-gen consoles do with their backwards compatibility games. I would imagine it's going to look better on that 2060 if it's a game that's more than a few years old. And those backwards compatibility titles that take more than a minute to load, uh, even on Xbox, I'm not seeing that. There's never been a game in my life with this NVMe drive in my my PC that takes longer than a minute to load. So it's not just that the games were written for hard drives. It's that the games were written for hard drives on the consoles and only the consoles. It's clear that PCs can make much better use of an SSD than most backwards compatibility console games. Wouldn't you say you've noticed that too? I mean, a minute load times with any SSD is absurd in half of the games they're showing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you're right. You know, if if you... If you want to buy a new piece of hardware to play older games better, then PC is the way to go. It's not, and you, and you probably own the old one, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if you already own a PC, then upgrade your graphics card. You, you, you've got to have a reason to buy one of these consoles. And I can't buy into the fact that playing older games better is a long-term viable solution to keep a console life going because it just doesn't make sense. Because at some point you're going to go, yeah, well, okay, well, what, what we're playing that's new next year and. That's that's going to come for both of them, and it's already here for PlayStation, but there's much more to come in terms of next year and what they're going to push out. But right now, if you're on the fence and you don't know what to buy, then don't buy. That's my that's my advice. Don't buy anything now, because unless you desperately see something you want to play, yeah. you can wait. Wait till next year. So uh, Cajun Canuck writes in, and he says, Tom, your hints at big games coming to the PS5 changed my mind. I now snagged one. You're lucky if you got a hold of one. And he goes, where's the rest of the reveals? Did Sony pull them back, or do you think that there were intentional leaks? No. There's, so, and this is in, you know, so I I had that one, you know, custom features and um, exclusives leak that I had come out for PlayStation 5 and Xbox. God, it's already been like four months or something, man, since I put that video out. And one of them was God of War, which I clearly stated, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, that, that, that turned out uh, to be correct. There were other exclusives I mentioned as well. And as far as I'm concerned, Cajun Canuck, I don't hear any changes to those games that I hinted at, right? Like, they're coming. It's just, I think Sony doesn't see a need like, here's how I would put it. They weren't sure. They thought there was going to be a Halo at the Xbox launch. They thought, and they weren't sure if, you never know. They weren't sure if Xbox had some other secret exclusive or something. 
And so I think Sony was preparing to show off way more games than they ended up showing off. And they just haven't because they've, as we've discussed, it's outselling the PS4. So if you can't even meet demand, why would you give people more reasons to buy your console yet? Why? Wait for demand to start catching up, then show off all of these other games to make sure the sales keep going. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to add to that NX Gamer. I think that's what's clearly going on. Yeah, no, that's the same. Uh, nothing to add. It's the same thing. There's no point in saying things and showing things off if you don't have a need to. Give it in your back pocket. Give the teams more time and show it when you're ready and it's in a better state. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, just looking at the list now, I mean, so what? We have, the, it launched with Demon Souls and um, a, a Spider-Man game. A shorter, half a Spider-Man game, really. Um, but, you know, I think they, like, Deathloop comes out May. Is also on PC though, of course, um, and I think it, they, they, you know, they already confirmed that by mid next year you're going to get Ratchet and Clank Returnal, Gran Turismo, and also uh, a Horizon game in the middle of the year, and then God of War is going to come out at the end of the year. As far as I'm aware, there's other games coming out next year that they still haven't announced. Uh, like I, like I've hinted at before, some uh, you know months ago in a <laughs> in a. Patreon podcast. I said there's some very solid games that are probably going to slither out next year, and um, th- like all of the rumors you've heard, most of them are probably true. That Sony's got their devs doing something, right? Was that a subtle enough hint at one of the games there, man? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was, it was, it was a bit snaky. <laughs> you missed out on the the biggest game, the the game that I have actually been enjoying, other than Astrobot, which is Sackboy. PS5, Sackboy, if you do get to play it. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about play that. It. It's, it's a really, really impressive, old-school platforming three. It just really feels like a new-generation type of game. It's, it's great. So if anyone has got a PS5, and you, you, if you haven't got one or you're getting one, play Sackboy, my recommendation. Game of the generation. Game? <laughs> Is it better than Knack 2? It's, it's, it's like Knack and Knack 2 combined. It's like Sack. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay, um, for now, I'll probably be playing a lot of Demon Souls, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, no, I've, I've heard good things about that game as well. So I guess that's, so we've talked about those PlayStation exclusives. So what's your, let's talk about Game Pass then. We have to, we should talk about that. Although before we get into it, I, I think you guys can probably tell, but I want to make state this very clearly. Game Pass is not Xbox Series X. Game Pass is its own service that's also on PC and the last-gen consoles. I think, like, arguing about the Xbox Series X because of Game Pass, to me, seems weird when you... if you Is there anyone getting a Series X who wants to get a Series X right now that doesn't already have a One X or already have a gaming PC? Someone, maybe. But I think you have... The Game Pass is its own discussion. So when I talk about Game Pass now, guys, I don't think of it as some Xbox Series X thing. I think of it as its own service. and. So, I mean, I guess what would you say, Michael, about your thoughts on like Game Pass and its future? Uh, I think it's a great idea that's got a lot of traction. It's Microsoft Next Gen, that's clear. That's, that's where they've been headed for years. I said it many, many years ago, this is where they were going to be, which was getting you to play at, you know, completely autonomous of hardware, get on whatever you can, play on whatever you can, subscribe to their service. It's the Microsoft way, SaaS, Gaz, that's how they work. It works, it's great. I think it needs more content. I think that there's there's enough there to get people in at the moment, but there needs to be more to make it more viable. And 
What they really need to do, I think, is stop putting their top-end games on it and make people buy mm. top-end games and then put them on it later like Sony do with their platform because I think that that almost incentivizes you to buy an Xbox, which I think that's what they're lacking at the moment. They're lacking any incentive to buy a new console when you quite rightly say you can get a Game Pass on PC and play all those games on your current gaming hardware, which is great for Microsoft because that's their plan. Which I have been, you know, I have Game Pass on PC. I've been playing Deep Rock Galactic a lot the past couple of weeks, which I, I actually highly recommend that game. Surprised, surprised me how much I enjoyed playing that with friends. I've got Game Pass on PC. I think it's great. I've got it on console. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great benefit. But for me, I don't have all that time to play the games all the time. So I, I don't use enough of it to get the value out of it. But I, I subscribe because there's definitely value there. But I think that it needs to have more on it and in some ways, less on it. It it shouldn't be pushing its exclusives out on there, and they shouldn't be buying exclusives to put on it. But that, to me, devalues the whole point of having an Xbox at all. Because, as you say, you can buy a decent PC that's more powerful than a Series X if you wanted to go with that that high end and spend that kind of money, and then just run the same games on it, and you're getting the same value as you would be getting on an Xbox. Plus, you've got a PC that can do other things. So, I, I just I, I still get confused with where they're going long-term with Game Pass, because I don't want it to become the Netflix of gaming, because no one really likes Netflix, do they? The quality's not really there. It's it's a bit inconsistent on I, it. I think Netflix has some good shows. I might actually argue with you on that one. <laughs> some of them are good, but are they great? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, uh, uh, see, that's, the, that's where it breaks down for me, though, is I don't see Game Pass as the Netflix for games, because it doesn't have anything like uh, the quality that I think you would expect to call it at that just yet. I don't think so. I don't know. Like, I don't see it as this supreme value. I, you know, I play Deep Rock Galactic. I play Gears of War 5. But these games aren't, I don't know, pound for pound. They're not as, they, none of these games, it seems like a lot of indie games and then some other games as well. I don't, I, I just, and, and you know, and this is a, you know, some people say this is a controversial opinion. I, I don't see it as, this supreme value. It's like $10 a month. I see Game Pass as just barely worth the $10, actually. But it depends how you look at games. Do you get a game to see how much time you can spend playing games? Because I'm going to be honest with you guys. If I wanted to spend the rest of my life playing games, I don't need to buy a single new game. I have enough games in my backlog right now that I never need to buy another game in my life. I'm not looking for time to waste. I'm looking for specific games to play. And when I, I have it pulled up next to me, when I look at this, eh, you know, there's nothing there like, like even like, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what's the cyberpunk's not on here. You know, you know, neither is like Demon Souls being a, that one's PlayStation. I don't know. Do you disagree? Yeah, no, exactly what I'm saying. It doesn't, it, it's, you don't consume games as you do TV shows and films. That's the difference. And I think that's the problem mm-hmm. with Game Pass is, is it, you've got to try and sell it for what it is. And I think that there's almost too much on there for the price. There should be, I, I think, tiers. Um, and like I say, I think that they shouldn't put massive exclusives, big first-party titles on there so easily. They should sell them, get some revenue back, and then use them on Game Pass to to increase the level of buy-in to using it. And it should be tiered. I think £10 a month or $10 a month, whatever it works out, is, is quite expensive when you won't use probably 70% of the games on there. Because let's be honest, most of us jump into Game Pass, scroll down, and then 
you know, four four screens down, think, what am I looking for again? I, don't, I can't remember now. And you, and you look at stuff and the cover jumps out at you or you look at a game and think, oh, I'll play that again. So there's a lot of backwards compatibility titles on there. There's Xbox 360 games, there's Xbox One games on there. And now you've got EA as well jumping in the bandwagon. So they're, they're adding more... Which that one's a big deal, I would say. That one's probably the biggest deal. Yeah, absolutely. I was literally playing Jedi Fallen Order on it. I, mean, I played that game to death. So it's one of my favorite games last year. And I'm playing that on the Series X the other day. So there's value there. But I don't see Game Pass as being the be-all and end-all. But the Bethesda deal might change that. It depends on how much stuff they push forward for it. But again, my, my view of Game Pass is it should be in addition to buying games outright and having that option. And they should incentivize it a little more by not putting all their best stuff in there straight away and tearing it off. So you get access to indie games and older games from two years for five, four, four ninety nine a month. You can go up to seven ninety nine a month and get everything else, or you can go premium and do whatever. But that's where I think they'll probably will go. But right now, I, 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 I buy it, I pay for it, I've got it, it's there, but I don't use it as often as I probably think I should do for £10 a month. But I, I feel the same about Netflix in the sense of it's there, but a lot of the stuff I flick through and think, well, what's on there, what's on there, and don't watch anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when it comes to Game Pass, I see a lot of people express this opinion like it's some kind of an inevitability that it's going to take over everything. And I don't, I'm not so sure, right? You know, I, I'm not so sure. I, I, if you look at the numbers, they try, they obscure it, but it's not making money right now, guys. Like it's not, it's losing quite a bit actually per month. And their goal is to get to a certain subscriber count and then jack up the price again to 15 bucks a month. I think, which is what Netflix did. <laughs> I think that's clearly what their goal is, but I don't think it's the same as Netflix. People keep saying Netflix of games. Games aren't movies, right? You can't just say Netflix of games. Games are a much more deliberate action. It's not like Netflix where it's like, I'm going to go watch Stranger Things, and that's a few nights of watching a TV show. A game is like, I'm going to learn how to play, do something. <laughs> you actually have to learn something to play a game. It's a much more intimate, deliberate choice to play a game. It's like, it's a commitment. I like. It's not for me, honestly, the older I get, it's less about the money and more about the time. It's like, I don't want to have to learn. Like, if you have this really gigantic game that's really complex, it needs to be really, really good to get me to invest my mental time learning the controls, learning the different mechanics of the game. And that, and that, and so it's, I don't think it's as much about, you know, Yes, there is a, a big value argument, but I think at least the older I get, gaming is more about just wanting to play a specific game that's worth my time. The time is much more valuable than what I'm spending, I find. Absolutely. I'm, I'm the same, but then I'm well aware that Game Pass isn't for me. There's there's benefits for, for my channel in terms of having it. Um but like you say, sure. the, the, one of the big things that I find with modern games, and we're going to get into game development conversation, I won't go down that route, but generally, modern games overcomplicate everything. So if you go back yeah. to older games, it was simple. Simple hook, simple routine, simple logic. You're in you know, a, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. That's how games used to be when I was growing up. And now you've got games where you in pressing R1 and hold X and you know sometimes in games crafting you've got to use every finger on your controller to hold this button down scroll across to this button hold that down what? and that frustrates me sometimes because I just think there's too much complexity in it so you know simplify to uh, I can't think of the, the saying now but um, you need to cut back a little bit on games and I think Game Pass 
is almost the antithesis of that. It kind of says, quick, play everything really quick and jump in and out and go to all these other games and move down the list and try and play this really quickly. And you never get very good at anything. I mean, if you're if like me, you've ever come back to a game after a while, you play it for, for, for two weeks, three yeah. weeks, four weeks, you don't, you don't play it for six months because something else happens. Well, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is the perfect example for me. You know, I remember when Assassin's Creed was about assassinating people. And I, I, I played Odyssey a bit. It seems like a good game, but I was like looking at the map and all of these insane amount of side missions. And I'm like, oh my God. And then like how complex everything was. And I played it for about 10 hours and I haven't gone back to it for a year because uh, I, I don't I don't remember where I was in the game. I don't you know, and I, and like the, I'd rather just jump into some like a uh, uh, Call of Duty that I got for you know discount or something because I know I'll be able to jump in and get through it. Well, and th- th- that's why the most popular games year in year out are FIFA and Call of Duty because they're simple. Mm. Uh, you can pick them up, you can learn them in a minute. You don't need to go through a bloody tutorial. That's another thing. I, you know, games that give you tutorials about how to press a button. Jesus Christ, man. Let us, yeah. you know, give me an option to skip the tutorial. Just give me an option and I'll skip it. Let, let me go into battle and die for my own stupidity. But that's what I think Netflix doesn't do. It's because there's so much stuff on there, you'll never spend any long time. It's, it's, it's almost the issue of modern age, which is there's too much choice. And too much mm-hmm. choice means that you don't really play anything. You just dabble. You have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you don't really get into anything. And I think that's what I miss about games. And... Don't get me started on the fact that I'm not a big fan of digital games anyway. I think physical is all day, every day. That's how it should be. Go out, buy yeah, I still prefer disc versions if I can get them. Obviously, that's been long dead on PC for a decade, but... Yeah, yeah. So I can see the benefits. I can see the reason why Game Pass exists. I can see all those good things. But for a for me, personally, it, it, I would happily live without it and just go back to buying my games and playing what I want to buy. And owning them and, you know... Yeah. And and at the end of the day, that's what I would say to the people listening is it's like, are you not going to get cyberpunk because you're saving money on Game Pass? Or are you just going to go out and buy it because you worked hard this year and you want to play the newest game that looks cool? And that's that's where I'm at. You know, I, it's like, are you really going to buy Demon Souls? It's like, yeah, because I, I think Demon Souls is worth more than seven months of Game Pass like I do. I, I, it, and, it, and it's not really worth like, because when I play games, it's not about how much can I brag about money I saved for games I'm never going to play? You know, I think you got to be honest with yourself. Why are you buying something? Is it to do this or are you really buying it to do that? You know? Well, I think at the end of the day, I can see the reason why Game Pass appeals to Microsoft. I can understand the marketing and the business logic behind it. And I can see why some people would love it because some people love the fact that they've got a stack of games to choose from and they can jump in and out of them. And there's a lot of online titles in there that people can play. But for me personally, I, I, I probably wouldn't subscribe to Game Pass every single month of the year if I didn't have a gaming channel that covers games. Therefore, it gives me easy access to games to cover. And I almost think it's a shame for developers that put all the hard work into making these games because they run the risk of... You'll never get a quality, high-budget, first-party Sony title on a Game Pass subscription method because it just wouldn't work. See, that's what I was going to say, is that you think they need to not put their exclusives on there. See, I would argue what they need to do is actually put more on there because until you have a, a, a mega exclusive like a Halo on, which I guess it will be on there, right? Like until you have, and it can't just be Halo. My opinion, it can't just be Halo. We've had Halos for decades. You need a new game on there, right? You need a new 
exclusive on there that we haven't seen before until they get this roster of, right? Right. Netflix really took off with uh, TV shows. Like I'm trying to think here, like, you know, um, God, uh, like Stranger Things and other shows that they were comparing to HBO shows, you know, or Ozark, right? Like these types of incredibly highly regarded HBO quality shows. That's what makes you keep it in addition to having all the other stuff you can watch. I think I, I would actually argue the opposite. Game Pass needs God of War tier exclusives, multiple of them to actually make you subscribe. Because I think the real reason people play games is because they wanted to play that game, not because they wanted to save money. Because if you want to save money, again, how many games can you get for nearly free right now, everybody, to spend the rest of your life playing? Yeah, but it, it all comes down to the business economics of making a game. So, you know, I don't know figures, but let's take a game like God of War. God of War would have cost upwards of 100 million, maybe more, to make. Yeah, it would have. Yeah. And selling that at, at 40, 50, 60 dollars a piece or 50, 40, 50 pounds a piece going out the door, not all of that's going back to the studio. There's lots of money that gets diluted across the, the breakdown of the game. How many subscriptions do you need to have? This is an argument I made on a previous podcast, by the way. I did the math and I was like, you can really only afford like one or two big games a year if they were to hit like 20 million subscribers or something. But, yeah. that's, and, but then, and then what about all the other games? Yeah. You're just paying for all these other games. Exactly. And that's something I try to convey as well is it's like, again, right? So I want to be clear. I think Game Pass can be successful, but I don't think people should be assuming it's inevitably going to survive as well as it might. Good or bad. I, I think I think that uh, that doesn't mean it's all or nothing, too. I see people say either Game Pass is going to fail horribly or it's going to kill everyone else. Yeah, I don't think either of those. I think it can be a mix of success depending on what happens. But let's not be so sure yet because there are some major questions when it comes to sustainability for it. But that doesn't mean it's just going to die. It could, though. I don't know, right? I, I think that we haven't seen exactly where Game Pass is going to go and you shouldn't assume you know its future. No, and I think that just to articulate the point I'm trying to make about not having exclusive, like I see what you, I see what you're saying about being on there. It entices people to subscribe, but the reason I'm saying it shouldn't is because of the very reason you won't get the quality it deserves oh, if yeah. that's the funding reason. So, what Microsoft should do is make a game like they used to that costs seventy dollars or fifty, sixty pounds to buy, and they make their money back in six months, and then when the six months have gone. And the lion's share of the market who wanted its day one have paid for it and it's it's earned its money back. You put it on Game Pass, and then after a couple of years, you've got a very nice cycle of almost the cinema and then video, which is buy it at the cinema and then watch mm. it on video for Game Pass. That's what they need to get working, that flow of titles. And I think that's what Sony are doing well with PS Now and PS Plus. They're they're balancing out what lands and what doesn't land. And after a few months, it comes on, or a few years, and then it, then it goes to PC. We, we saw Horizon, we saw with um, Detroit, we saw with Death Stranding. So that's what Microsoft need to do. But they need to make games that compete, and they, they're, they're not going to do that with the budgets that Game Pass gives them. That's my problem with it. Yeah, no, I... I... I couldn't agree more. And you know, when I looked at um, the you know the PS Plus Instant PS5 catalog, I I didn't realize that you got Final Fantasy 15, right? The and the Royal Edition, whatever's in that. I guess I don't know. But basically, you get the special edition of Final Fantasy 15. You get Monster Hunter Iceborne. You get man. I I know the argument, I, and which I think is a fair one. You know, if you're 
If you're someone who's bought most of these PlayStation exclusives, I guess a lot of these probably aren't new to you, but there was like 20, 30 games on there. It's like, I haven't played all of them. <laughs> you know, and I when and and they just added Shadow of War to P- PlayStation Plus as well. And so I'm like, wait a second. So day one, I get Shadow of War, and I'm just talking for me, right? I get Shadow of War, Final Fantasy 15. I guess they they had Call of Duty World War II. What else was on there? I'm trying to remember. They had, they had one of the Black Ops games on there. Um, there was something else that they added as well that I hadn't played, but like. You know, just those games. I'm. I'd rather have Monster Hunter, Shadow of War, and um, Final Fantasy 15 than the exclusives I've seen on Game Pass. Well, like, Final Fantasy 15 is on Game Pass now, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, so but then it's on. It's also on PlayStation. Plus, yeah, apparently. but you missed out the biggest one. Bug Snacks. Bug Snacks oh, is on PS Plus. So, <laughs> I okay. So then I'll go play Sackboy and Bug Snacks <laughs> before Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> But um, no, I, I yeah, I've heard some interesting things about that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just you know I think this idea and and you know and that's just me. I've already played the Uncharted games, but like if you haven't owned a PS4, you get this. You get all of the uh, you get the four Uncharted games, The Last of Us. You know what else was on there? Days Gone, which is a pretty recent title. Um, Last Guardian. I mean, actually, the list there. There's like 20 mega games you just get day one if you get a PS5. I don't know. I don't see this value argument. I actually don't. I thought I did. I used to make that argument for Games Pass all year. But booting it up, looking at what you get from PlayStation Plus, at least right now, I I actually don't. I think there's greater value in that, you know, and it's also cheaper than Games Pass. So I, I think it's something that's not this big advantage people are acting like. Could it become one? Maybe. But again, it's like, how many times are we going to make this argument of what's in the future? It's like, this is what's here now. Yeah, and I think it's, value is subjective, and, that, and that's the key thing. But mm-hmm. my, my, like you said earlier, it's a very salient point. The fact that value for me is time and quality of it rather than spending money. But for other people, it's about, I've spent 50 quid, it's, I've only got 50 quid, and I, I want that to last. I want that to give me six months worth of gameplay. And I can understand that as well. But what we need is choice. And, and I almost want to say that we need less. We need less choice. So there needs to be less games. I, the biggest problem with the game market at the moment is there's too many people mm. making games that don't like games. That's my biggest problem. Well, and some of them aren't doing well, right? Like you look at Anthem and it's like, did we really need another game like this? Or you look at some of these Battle Royale games that are going out, that are just floundering. And it's like, yeah, people voted. They want to play Fortnite. You know, or they want to play. There's a few other battle royales that are, of course, really big too. But there's, if, if this is what you know, if every game is going to be this 1,000 hour long game, and they're all going to be open world or battle royale games, and some of these games are going to fail because, like, I'm going to be honest. When I look at like online shooters, it's like I like Battlefield. I'm playing Battlefield, so like I'm done. I'm done with every game having attacked on online shooter mode. I don't want that. I'm, I want unique single player experiences. And if you're going to make an online shooter. It better be really good because my I'm just I've decided I like Battlefield, you know. Uh, yeah, and and I think that the biggest problem is there's too many copycats. There's too many things that are out there that are the same thing, and a, a crowded market is bad. You've only got to go back if you're old enough as me. You remember what happened with Atari, not in the UK, not but in America. Once 
once everyone saw, once VCs, venture capitalists, saw the opportunity of making money from games, everyone, everyone invested in it, everyone was chucking games out left, right and centre, buying licences to get games out, just because they thought that every Tom, Dick and Harry will buy a game and, and they'll make a fortune. For a little bit they did though, back then. <laughs> then, it, then it goes pop because the quality is crap and everyone gets bored and moves on. And I think that it's not going to happen with gaming as it stands at the moment, but it would be good to return to the days of having five, six big releases a year, whereas right now we can have hundreds in a year and sometimes, and I'm I'm hardcore gamer in terms of understanding what's coming out and looking at things, even I'm like, how many games are coming out this month? And it's almost impossible to cover them all and imagine what it's like to try and buy them. And that's the problem. You're, you're competing in, in the, you know, the same market space with the same amount of money and all of a sudden, last year you had five games against you and now you've got ten. And you've got to stand out. And that's why games like Cyberpunk are so big. Because yeah. Cyberpunk will sell bucket loads. Everyone's hungry for it. And whenever there's a delay, everyone cries and screams because they desperately want to play something. Because it feels big budget. It feels different. It looks dramatic. It looks ex- exciting. And it's multi-platform. So that, that's a game that's going to make every PC gamer, every Xbox gamer, every PlayStation gamer stop what they're doing, drop the linen and play the game. And that's great. And that's what we want. But there's not enough of those because there's too much of these other games coming out. And Game Pass is almost a good example of the fact that it's full of games where if you scroll down now, I guarantee you, you'll see a bunch of games that look very similar, a similar cover and a similar style of gameplay. And why do you need so many games that look the same? I, mean, I got very bored of 8-bit, as they called them, pixel shooters. Last year, because it was just a bandwagon, and in the end, yeah. you just like I've seen one, I've seen a million now. I don't need to see any more. So uh, I, I do sound like an old man yells at cloud, but there is too much choice, I think, at the moment. And I would like just to have a little bit less and a little bit more content. Yeah, and I mean, I guess yeah, that just brings it full circle too. Yeah, I'm done with this idea of well, this has this as well. Well, this has this as well. I don't want the me too. I want to play that game. And I'm going to pay for it because it's worth it to me. And I'm done with this just like hoard this pile of value that, I mean, how many times have we fallen into this with the Steam sales? And I've seen so many of my, you know, supporters in my Discord talking about how they don't really pay attention to Steam sales anymore. I don't because, why? (laughs) I don't need the, in college it was a big deal, but that was also back when there were less games. Like it's not a big deal anymore, really. It's I'm more excited for the big marquee titles than I than I ever really used to be, because they, like you say, they feel rare to act, like actually big games now, like actually feel very rare to come out. Yeah, and I like indie games as well that are original, unique, and they dare to do something that big studios would never do. I don't need another eight bit indie game. <laughs> I want an actual unique one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so if you take something like, like I say, Dreams Earlier is an amazing piece of kit in terms of the small independent, I know they're not independent, they're Sony owned, but no big company would have funded that with any logical mindset. But then you've got stuff like No Man's Sky, which is almost like a modern day elite. And I like those kind of games that would never be funded because there's not a market out there. They've done they've done their market research. There's no target audience. Why would we sell that? And that's where I think indie is has got the biggest strength. But there's still a lot of indie games that are copycats or just trying to do something different. And I'm happy for that. But I, I just would like to see more variety in the market and less content. Yeah. No. I mean, I entirely agree. I think I think let's move on. We've been going for a while here, just like we did last time. Um, let's move on. I got like one final um, 
Well, I guess, it, yeah, let me get to this last reader mail and then we can get to anything else. Um, Ivan Coley Bobby UK writes in and says, what do you think comes after PS5 and Xbox Series X in five to seven years? Uh, 4K 60 with more ray tracing? <laughs> I think it's going to be more than that. I mean, I know this is hilarious, but you know, it's the same thing like right now that RDNA 2 is coming out, everyone asked me, stop talking about RDNA 2. What's going to be an RDNA 3? But I mean, I, I, a bit premature because consoles are so much farther away. But yeah, I mean, what do you think the next like PlayStation 6? Like, what do you think the targets would be? And I guess maybe to put it in perspective, what do you think the PS5's targets would have been if you were to be asked this in 2013? Uh, I don't know. It's too, it, <laughs> I know it, it's a huge question. It, it's, I it's too early to talk about PS6, but I mean, whatever they're going to do, it's going to be based on the next two, three years or what comes out of the market. So the chase of resolution is pointless. The chase of performance is pointless, but people are going to look ahead and think, I need something brand spanking new in the PS6. And there's people talking right now, but what what can it deliver? More of the same, but better. I think the, the benefits that will come from the next generation of console is more refined versions of what we got now. There's not a lot more you can add. Yeah, more ray tracing. Yes, high resolutions. Yes, more frame rate. But that, that isn't that isn't where I, I think the excitement needs to be. It's about offering choice to developers to do different things. So I see virtual reality, really, as a... As a yeah, I was going to say, that's the one thing that wouldn't surprise me if they doubled down on next-gen. I think there's an opportunity here to do it in PS5. I think the PS5, oh, yeah, me got, too. Yeah, got a lot of opportunity there in terms of its design and what they've how they've built it. But I think the PS6 could leverage a lot more in terms of interactivity. So think of what they're doing with the DualSense. Think of what they're doing with camera systems and tracking and inside-outside tracking. Think about that in seven years' time, what's possible. And then you've got a, a, a much open in entry into VR that doesn't enable... You don't have to wear a headset. You, you know, you've got an AR functionality that's, that can, you know... Put you in a world that feels like it's your living room, but you're actually virtualized. There's lots of options. I think that's where mm. where the next generation will go. I don't think it will be chasing resolution, ray tracing, and all that kind of good stuff. I think consoles will diversify into more of a choice or a, or an experience, so to speak, more like the arcades of days gone by. So I think that's where the strength lies in, in a new generation because you're going to run out of pushing pixels. I mean, 8K. I mean, Jesus Christ. It, it, it might become a marketing <laughs> thing, but who needs 8K over 4K? How big is your screen in your house? So that's where I think they'll probably go. More about the immersion, the sound, the interactivity, VR, AR elements of it. That's where I think the strength will be. Xbox, I think that will go completely into you buy a PC, you buy a console, you play the games that are available at that time. I, I don't think they're going to follow the console route all the way to the end. I don't think that's their long game. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that they're clearly positioning, which is why I've always said the Xbox Series X really should be running Windows, in my opinion. There should be a boot into Windows mode. That would be, such, I think, such a killer feature um, if they could do that to really differentiate it. Because it, it, in so many ways, it seems to run on PC APIs, you know, on desktop APIs and with this kind of comparison to PC, I'm like, man, so then make it a PC if you actually, like, man, that would just, because I would get one then, or like, I know my brother would have gotten one if instead of upgrading his PCs, like if this literally ran Windows so I could do coding and all this other stuff on it, I, I would have gotten it. But so I think that's kind of 
Microsoft's big challenge over the next five years is figuring out how to merge Xbox into PC. As for PlayStation, yeah, I would just say it's like the new features and stuff. And it's funny, actually, I was thinking, looking at the PS5 the other day, like, I don't think there needs to really be a PS5 Pro. Call me crazy. But it's like, it's not like the Xbox One and PS4 where you're like, immediately you're like, hmm, I wish this was running at higher frame rates. I wish this was at 1080p more often. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it runs games fine. Locked 60 at, at resolutions that are high enough. I'm very curious to see if there's really going to be any drive for a pro version of the console. Maybe just because eventually it becomes not more expensive to use the latest stuff, right? But I, I, I do wonder that, right? If there is... I guess let me ask you that. Do you think there is going to be this drive for a mid-gen upgrade? I don't know. I don't think there will be. You know... I think Microsoft's clearly telegraphing they're going to do that when they call it the series, though. Like they'll just say the 2020 Series X. Well, Microsoft have lined themselves. I mean, 2022, I should say. Yeah. So Microsoft have lined themselves up to do that because everything they've done on their operating system is, is, you know, pull away from having a dedicated console and have multiple iterations thereof that you just develop for in terms of the PC spec. So they will consistently keep releasing the latest version in two two years, three years' time, another cheaper version, another more expensive version of their series release. And that will be to take the crown and say, oh, I've now got the most performant console out there and it will do the work for me. And that's that's how they their mindset works. You can see their marketing is done that way. Mm-hmm. Um, PlayStation doesn't have that target. That's not how they work. They, they almost reluctant release the PS4 Pro because they had to target that adoption of 4K TV was higher than they thought, and they delivered mm. something. But relatively, as a you know day one owner of a PS4 Pro, you didn't really miss out on anything on the Pro that you couldn't get on the PS4, except at a slightly higher resolution and occasionally at higher frame rates. Yeah. I would just say the smoothness factor is the biggest deal and the fact that it really didn't cost more than the normal PS4, <laughs> like, let's be honest, right? Like that, that was the biggest thing for me was it was just like, well, 400 or 300, spend the 100 bucks to make it smooth, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I don't think we'll see a PS5 Pro. Not saying that I know that, but don't think there will. There will be another series something from Microsoft in the next three years. Yeah, I mean, the, the people I've talked to it's like it's premature to say there won't be a PS5 Pro, right? Because who knows? They weren't planning a PS4 Pro from the start, guys. So who knows if they'll decide to? But I do know that people I've talked to connected to Sony sound like um, they are actively saying they don't want to need to make one. So if they do, it wasn't their plan from the beginning. Let's put it that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I guess that. Kind of so answers that question there. I mean, is there anything else you want to discuss? I mean, uh, we've gone for quite a while here. I think we've talked more than enough. <laughs> I feel like I've got nothing else to say, and I'm probably boring the hell out of everyone. So I think, yeah, that's that's a, a long enough show. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, why don't you plug yourself again then? Yeah, th- so yeah, thank you. Um, if you want to check me out, I'm over on NX Gamer. So Michael from NX Gamer. I cover consoles, PC, um, I cover comparisons, console frame rates, all the next-gen stuff, uh, all the good information you want to find out about games and how they run on different hardware, why they run differently on different hardware, the levels of performance, and also reviews up front so you know the kind of performance you can expect from games before you buy them, because I do technical performance reviews as well as the gameplay itself. So, yeah, check me out on NX Gamer. Thank you. Yeah, and there'll be a link to your channel in the description. 
Um, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you on the next episode. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn Jim, Bollocks, Joshua Abbott, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Craft, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dew, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Desaru, Daniel Hyde, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, B.I. Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wantuk, Jacob Barber, Exotic, Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Ducks, Drita Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, John Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Zedia Tech, Sam MacArthur, Total Silas, O'Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Harry Baldino, Dan Loggins, Thompson, Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Power, Sayonara, Alenia, Joshua Stavnis, jo- Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Hirastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Kyerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Macdo 226, Sabre Z. Licky, Matt Porshegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Walkie Megan, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph, Loria, Calm Marco, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abinetti, Master Andy Juan, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Maxime Bratukin, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Messiers, Paul da- Bogdan, Morton Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Sankiewicz, Jack Pym, Wakar Khan, JBG, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futo, 
Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Dispotsky, Paul J. My name is nobody. Ruben Marr, Louise Correa, John Jameson, Eshil Dar Espthine, Luca, Anders Bervin, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, Hardforum.com, Susanna Maria, and Stu. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 